Now entering Nerdist.com. You may win, you may win, you may win, oh yeah. You may win, you may win, you may win, You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? This is a uh, an, an amazing conversation with someone I didn't know very well, had met here and there, but had no idea what an incredible guy this is. He's done so many things, been involved in so many projects that I absolutely love. The Daily Show, the Bernie Mac Show, we get into all that. This is Larry Wilmore, who also happens to be a magician. And I mean, if you've listened to other episodes of the show, you know that I love talking about magic and I love talking to magicians. So Larry and I have been keeping it going, a lot of texting about different <laughs> card techniques and stuff. Uh, it's one of the ways I'm a dork in, in the good way. Yeah, you want to be that kind of dork. I like being excited. Anyway, uh, so let's, as I always say, let's get to it as quickly as possible. I do want to say, if you're listening to this to the, the day it comes out, I'm going to be in Boston this Friday, May 26th, as a part of the Boston Calling Festival. I'll be on Friday night. Uh, there are tickets at PeteHolmes.com. There are also T-shirts, mugs, pillows, all the stuff that's been inspired by bits on the show at store.PeteHolmes.com. Also, please watch Crashing, even on uh, reruns, HBO Go, HBO Now, all that sort of stuff. And we have a wonderful sponsor this week, which is Dollar Shave Club. I don't know if you know about Dollar Shave Club. I don't know if you're still buying your uh, razors and shaving cream the old way, but Dollar Shave Club is obviously the smarter choice. They get a great shave. They give you a great shave at a great price. It's conveniently delivered right to your door just like that. It's an amazing life hack, which I use. It's a no-brainer choice. You no longer have to schlep to the store to find the aisle where the razors are, to get the guy with the key on the dangling little chain to come to that aisle so he can open it and he smells like weird soap and he gets them and they don't even have the ones you want and it's a fortune because they figured out that they can do that because they're the only ones that do it. Well, not anymore! Dollar Shave Club to the rescue. They can give you an amazing executive razor with their exclusive Dr. Carver Shave Butter. The blade is so gentle but sharp. It gives you a smooth, wonderful shave. I want you to try the smarter choice with Dollar Shave Club. So, uh, let's see. For a limited time, new members get their first month of executive razors and a tube of the shave butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, it's only a few bucks a month. That's $15 value for only 5 bucks. All you got to do is go to dollarshaveclub.com slash weird to get this wonderful deal. Try it out. No commitments, no fees. Cancel it anytime you like. Thank you, Dr. Shave. Doctor. Thank you, Dollar Shave Club. And thank you, Dr. Shave, my nemesis who lives in a hollowed out volcano. <laughs> Hi, Valerie. Hi, baby. Hello from New York, by the way. We're in New York filming the second season. We're going to start shooting in two weeks. Tomorrow's our second table read, our second and final table read. It's crazy. Anyway, I always love to plug the Pete's Picks. Somebody just emailed me yesterday, and they were like, I want to try Charlotte's Web, but do you really try it? I'm like, how? How clear do I have to be that these are things that I love, that I use, if not every day, almost every day? And one of them, like I said, is Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. People don't seem to believe it's as good as it seems. I, I can only... <gasps> Brody! Come on, pal. Come on, buddy. What do you want to be in the intro? 
I think he's, he's burning his reflection. <laughs> anyway, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil. This is a wonderful, game-changing product for me. It's made from hemp, but it doesn't have THC in it, or it has like very, very, very like 0.01% THC, meaning it's only CBD, which is the non-psychoactive element of the plant. It's a wonderful product for me for back pain, neck pain, sleeping better, anxiety, just general stress. Uh, I take it on airplanes. I never travel without it. Uh, it's completely functional, which means you can read, you can focus, you can work on it. Uh, you just take a little bit. I always use the Everyday Plus or the Everyday Advance. If you want to feel it and you want to notice it, just kind of running in the background, you got to use the Plus or the Advance. Those are the ones that I really love. Um, I get fan mail every day about people saying how much this product means to them. I know uh, it helps me drink less because, I don't know, I'm always just looking for something to take the edge off, and this is a very healthy, safe way to do that. I love it. Try it. If you want to try it, go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code YOUMADEITWEIRD for 10% off. Again, try the plus or the advanced. Th those are my favorite. The other Pete's pick, as always, is Alpha Brain. I was just uh, making sure I had some in the pocket of the jacket that I'm wearing. I am never far from my alpha brain. It is a nootropic, which means it's like a vitamin for your brain. Helps with memory. It helps with focus. Helps, helps with concentration. It's not like a stimulant, though. It's not like coffee. It's not an upper. It's just something that... It's kind of like food and nutrients that your brain needs to run. I swear by it. It's all earth-grown ingredients. I haven't done a podcast, done stand-up, written a script, meditated, lucid dreaming, anything that uses my brain. I take Alpha Brain, like three pills is what I take because I'm gigantic, about 15 minutes before any of these activities. Uh, I, I even sometimes take it before I sleep because it gives me very, very trippy dreams in kind of a cool, fun way. I always have someone in my backpack, in my car, and like I said, in every jacket I own. That's how important it is to me, and I really want you to try it. This one is real, too, in case anyone's wondering. <laughs> the Pete's Picks, they're real. We, we endorse products that we like, including Dollar Shape Club, too. Uh, I want you to try it. If you'd like to, go to onnit, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash weird, and you'll get 10% off. Those are the Pete's Picks. Thank you, Dollar Shave Club. Hope to see you guys in Boston. Maybe I'll see you here in New York while I'm popping in and doing shows. Maybe you'll even see us uh, filming on the streets. So excited to be back in New York City. What a thrill. Enjoy Larry Wilmore. This, this was so long ago because we, we stacked him up a little bit. But I remember this one. It was a real delight. So as I always say, but Val's here. You're not in Budapest anymore, so you can say it. I'm back, baby. <laughs> Get into it. Get into it. Yes. Larry. Hey, man. How's it going? Wasn't sure if I was in the right place. What's up, man? This is you. Do you mind? Oh, sure. Over here. How's it going? How are you, dude? Nice hey, to see you. Congratulations, B. I appreciate Thank you very much. Uh... I just texted you, uh... Yeah, I was trying to find parking. Look, so. man, we've all <laughs> heard it. I'm just kidding. Um, did it go, did it work? Or did it, yeah, uh, I don't know. Paid why. at the thing or whatever. Well, first I drove up behind, you know, nothing. Then I had to back out slowly, and then do the circle around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm just so glad you're here. How are you? It's good to see you. Good. Are we Are we on right now? If you don't mind, yeah, we can edit just, out that story about parking. Yeah, let me just, <laughs> no, I'm just turn, kidding. This, turn this off. There yeah. How, how, Good to we, be here. We got to the point 
where I, I just said to Aristotle, I was like, I hope he's okay. I hope he's not surrounded by dead bodies with an axe. Like, I don't know what happened. Well, yeah, I didn't – actually, I didn't want to go with the truth. I thought I'd go with the, the parking thing. Oh, you mean you killed a lot of people? <laughs> exactly. It's funny because I was watching Law & Order. I get transfixed by those old Law & Orders. Yeah. You know, and it, all it is, you're just watching stories about death, you know, just people dying and stuff. I'm well, like, I – I'm right. like, why do I want to watch these things like on a Saturday morning? I don't know. There's something interesting about that. Because I don't well, watch them when they it. come on. Yeah. You're... I like binging them like over and over. Right. Is it the pattern, the familiarity of it? It's like. I think so. They it's get just... close. Don't yeah. they interview someone in the beginning and then they lose them? It's and then law it them? and then it's order. <laughs> it's not order and law. Works, yes. A little glimpse into the writer's That's room. Right. It's That's not right. order first. <laughs> yes. Who wrote this order law script? <laughs> <laughs> this show is law and order. Oh, it made the blacklist. Did you read that order and law script? I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That would make sense. Is, are you like a horror movie fella? Are you? Do you like uh, slasher no, stuff? Not really. Getting not, it out of your system? Not really. You Video know? games? You killing people in no. games? No. I was never. I did some of that, but I'm not like I don't need to see grisly stuff. You know? Yeah, I, I'm not either. I, yeah. I have a hard uh, like American Horror Story. I don't even care for the billboards. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, some shows are too garish for me. It's just garish. Too much. Yeah, hit it. Nice. Come on. Nice work. Great work. Saturday morning. Great garish. Word. That's high roll. Man. Great word. I park <laughs> yeah. my uh, obtuse car in my garish. Uh huh. Nice. <laughs> Very, very nice. I'm not even sure what that means. Me neither. Obtuse uh, means unintelligent, so it doesn't make any sense. I mean, like yeah. a like a gaudy car in my garish. I understand. Yeah, yeah. now we. Get I knew what the words meant, but I didn't know what you meant. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm right. saying what the words meant in yeah. hopes that I'll figure right. out what I meant. <laughs> like, please don't misunderstand. We're both no, here no, no. together. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But this is such an interesting place too. What is this? Is have like you not a, been here? No, I have not. That's weird. But you're a nerd man. I mean, um, you're one of those nerds, but you're not a comic book nerd. Not really. Um, yeah, it's I'm, a great store for for our. our I our understand. People. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I've kind of dipped my toe a little bit, but no, I was never down that nerd um, Alice in Wonderland hole. Yeah, um, like I'm a magic nerd. Yeah, you know? I know. I'm like super excited. Stuff, I, t- I texted Rory uh-huh. Albanese that you're doing uh, the show. Yeah, and I, I I often text friends sure. and guests, and I'm like, right. give me some juice. Give right. me some shit. Some juice. Something. Give me a question that I'll have to preface it with, like, this is weird that I know this. Right, right. And he goes, he likes magic. Great magician. I was like, <laughs> I almost texted him, like, Rory. Right. That's on his Wikipedia. That's all you, you gotta have. fucking yeah. help me out here. You got to give me something, something else. But yeah. I don't know if you know. I love magic. No, I didn't I know that. I love magic. Are you? Do you do magic? Or you I just... do a little bit. Oh, I mean, cool. anybody that loves. I usually it. have a deck of cards. I mean, I just is that right? And just you know, ran out. Didn't favorite trick deck? No, no, do no. Do you no. have a favorite trick deck? Um, well, I mean, I don't want to give away trade secrets or yeah, anything. People um, do on the show all the time. But, <laughs> We've had a number of magicians on and we'll talk really? without even explaining what we're talking That's about. That's true. Well, I, I like to use normal decks, you know. Yeah, for sure. But if you're going to go with uh, trick deck, nothing beats the invisible deck. I was just going to say. Nothing beats that. I, One it, of the best tricks in the world. Until I saw yeah. David Blaine do it. Yeah. Uh, like a lot he, of people. He did it on a TV special. He did it on a TV special, right. and it was one of those tricks where you're like, that's fucking impossible. Yeah, it's amazing. And I had an invisible deck, yeah, and I didn't and even think, consider. Eh, you're like, eh, it's just a, it's just a whatever. Because when you buy it, this yeah. is the fun of magic, just like the fun of, yeah. of jokes, is mm-hmm. you know the information. Right. Having kids is a handful. Yes. But a magician right. <laughs> can take a deck like that and do something Make very it a miracle. special with exactly. it. Exactly. Make it a miracle. And once the mythology is broken, that's why a lot of people, they want to know how... Tr- Tricks are dumb, but I feel like they really don't want to know. I'm the guy that does want to know. Yeah. Because, but go on. 
Well, they don't because I always say the most fe- people the feeling that, that you have right now the the mystified feeling is much better yes. than when that bubble is burst and you have the knowledge feeling. That but, feeling is not good. Magi- it's, I said, stay in this feeling right now. It's I much better. Know. Magicians yeah. are like the lovers that just want you to come. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree? Wow, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're givers. Yeah, and then the really good magicians tell you where to come. So, yeah, there you go. That's, just, that's how it works. And every, in a box, if we can relate everything to coming, I yes. think that would be great. You'll okay. see in this podcast that I, I, I will draw things back to sex. Wow. I'll find a way. It's funny. I just heard you and Terry Gross talking about, I'm a Christian and all this stuff. Uh, and you come out with coming, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I had a really hard time in that interview really? not swearing. Not swearing. I love the interview. Yeah, she's but awesome. Yeah, I actually yeah. listened to it. because That was a great interview, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, I didn't know so she much She was incredible. Yeah, she's the best. Hearing her... This is fresh air. Yeah. I was like, ah! You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. just got to freak it's out. It's kind of this mysterious disembodied voice. I know. know? And you it wonder was... if years from now when Terry Gross is gone, they'll still have her ability to interview people. Oh, my you God. Know? I've thought about That'd that many amazing, times. That the yeah. singularity will animate our yeah. greats. And everyone can be interviewed well, by Terry Gross. Because yeah. every question I wanted to answer with, what an honor it is that you care right, about right, my right. background or whatever it is. Right. But I was having a very hard time not swearing, especially because we were talking about clean comedy being forged in clubs where you're right. following dirty comedians. Yes. And I love dirty com- I really do right. love dirty comedy. I started out very clean myself, too. So you know mm-hmm. this play. No, I know. Oh, completely. The untold I, I story. It. Yeah. The worst is when you had to headline yeah. and you followed 30 minutes of that and the show, you were the show and you had to spend the first 10 to 15 minutes them, getting them used them. to just not going into that area. That's you right. Know? That's yeah. why you see it was a str- it, it could be a real struggle, but you felt so good when you did win them over after yeah. that too. That was fun. Yeah. You, it's like you took the high ground and you won. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. It's like winning an argument. They're yeah. yelling and you're just like, I hear you. I hear <laughs> right, you. Right. I hear you. Please have right. a seat. Oh, I can fuck. I can go with fuck and fuck you motherfuckers yeah, yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. But fuck I, you motherfucker is yeah. great. You yeah. had a great fuck you motherfucker on real time. I love that fuck you motherfucker. Oh, well, with thank the, you very much. With yeah. the white supremacist guy, right? I think if you're gonna go with that, the white supremacist guy is probably the way to go. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good one. In, yeah, in a, in the flight jacket. Yeah, I was just defending myself. That's it. <laughs> I was just. Uh, I was just being me. It was one of the greatest uh, fucks of all time. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a great fuck. Thank you very much. See, I brought it back to say, great fuck. But anyway, mm-hmm. the idea that my heroes, your Seinfelds, your Romanos, mm-hmm. would go up, and and what I wanted to say was to Terry, my right. go-to example is because a lot of people, their closer was about how confusing vaginas are. Mm-hmm. I, I've said this on the podcast before. When I was right. emceeing, I knew the middle was closing right. when he That's said Cave of Mystery. That's hilarious. That's when I put my free chicken fingers down. Right. That's so funny. Got in the this way. is such great inside, inside <laughs> baseball. I love that. I love how we're about to go on stage. Like. Yeah, all those things. Oh, God. Remember the, mm-hmm. the panic? Did you host coming up? The panic of someone going like, he's getting off. And like, oh, you have sure. to run. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember there was this one duo. Uh, I won't say their names, but you may have worked with them. I don't know, but oh, maybe not. They may have been out. Yeah. But, uh, but they would do these fake encores all the time. And uh, and once they got mad because they said, "Hey, you didn't bring us back for encore. It's a fake fucking encore. Yeah, you know, you set that up every that's time. Hilarious. It's like they weren't asking. The audience was leaving. It was never a real encore. Just come no. back. Did they not come back because they didn't cheer enough or because you didn't bring I, them up? Again? I think I just forgot. You know, it's like the energy was so down. You know, it's, you know, you do your announcements and everything or whatever. You know, when you're emceeing all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I I think I just forgot that one thing or whatever. I remember. But I think they did like two encores. It was like a ridiculous thing. Really? But it was all staged. It wasn't. 
Well, now it's not. Know. I know it's not the Sklar brothers. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> it's Absolutely. hard to get those guys off the stage. <laughs> right. I love them so much. That, yeah. That's a little shout out. I remember hosting for Jim Gavigan one of the <laughs> first weekends I ever did, and I forgot. He said, like, uh, mentioned the CD at the end, mm-hmm. and I forgot. I, so I said, okay, no problem. Sure. Then I came up, and he said, where's the CD? <laughs> and I was right. like, what? Do you, what? Yeah. And he goes, fuck it. And I was like, at that point in my life, just saying, fuck it, yeah. I thought he was furious with me. Obviously, he didn't even care. Right. He was just like, oh, bring it up. It helps when they see the CD or whatever. Yeah. But I was so, I shit my pants because yeah. I thought I had so nervous about it. Yeah. All you want to do is please yeah. the other people. Right. And that, I'm so I'm so trained to bring crashing up, and that's what crashing's about. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> I, where did you? We'll start? be back with more talk about crashing. Uh, <laughs> I'll find a way to turn your interview into a plug for my no, show. I'm so happy for you, Pete. You have Thanks, to know. Man. That's, uh, I love that you're doing a show on your own terms. That's the best, right? It is. It yeah. really is. I have right. to imagine that was your experience. Oh, all, you always want to try to do that, no matter yeah. what environment you're in. Is to do a show on your own terms as much as you can, working within the limits of whatever you're working with but you always want to have that in it you know yeah and working I, with judd that's awesome man. it's incredible yeah people you know i think working with him is different from working in any other combination yeah. it's a very uh, i you know the buck kind of stops with him and obviously hbo gives right. a lot of helpful notes and stuff but sure. you do get that feeling I, <clears throat> excuse me i remember an interview where lena and judd were together mm-hmm. and they were like Whenever they hear Louis being like, I can do whatever I want. I can right. do whatever I want. Yeah. He was like, we do whatever we want. <laughs> right. Which it, not to say Louis's stupid, but it's right. like, there are a lot of places. No, you can say it. Go ahead. Ah, I really want <laughs> People ratings. Hear this. People are <laughs> Louis C.K. is a dum-dum. Pete Holmes says Louis <laughs> is stupid. <laughs> but we release it like we make right. it salacious. Right. Why would you say Shots that? fired. You, you know what? The, this is completely out. Topic. Please, I don't welcome know if we're to the on a topic. Yeah. So <laughs> we're on a topic. I know, exactly. I'm going to write down our topic. I know. Here's what always gets me about uh, uh, statements that uh, yeah. most statements are false, and I'll tell you why. Um, especially <laughs> because what happens is a reporter, and this usually happens with athletes most of all, and it sometimes it happens with celebrities, but mostly with athletes. Yeah. And I think because they like to start shit is why they do this, but they do this all the time. They'll ask the athlete a leading question. Sure. And then they'll they'll get an answer that's provocative, but it'll be uh, posted or it'll be published as if someone just made that statement without the question. Without the question. No context. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like, well, why would they say that? You know, because motherfucker, you asked me the question. <laughs> right, right, right. But without like the Judd, question, it sounds like Judd. you just made a statement. Like Judd has a joke about – it's a very funny joke mm-hmm. about how he feels like – um, Trump is violating the the country sexually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 it's a dark joke. Yeah, and he goes it's, it's, like, uh, Woody Allen and uh, Annie Holm made it similar. Is that true? Yeah, we said, uh, um, I I was seeing this girl and I thought I wanted to do to her what Eisenhower was doing to the country. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So That's an, hilarious. An Annie Holm. But yeah. this is an involuntary mm-hmm. uh, fucking, I suppose, in the right. joke. And and then uh, the headlines that like all came out were kind of like very salacious, as if it was. Almost not even in a comedy show that right. Judd says Trump is raping America. You know what I mean? Like all context was kind of stripped right. 
from it. Is that kind of your point? Like we take something. Well, that's just that's just stupid, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just taking a joke in someone's act, like right. like Judd is a senator or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, that doesn't even make sense. It's like there's so many things out of context with that scenario. It's like nine skips of it's the like, stone. You realize we're talking about Judd Apatow, right? right. Have you watched Girls? Right. <laughs> you know, that's a mile. They had an analingus scene in there. You know, <laughs> you're mad at that joke. You know, leave the president out of the analingus. Yeah, exactly. So you're saying someone gets interviewed, they ask them a question, then yes. and that becomes a sound bite. Correct. The, the the answer becomes a statement rather than the answer to a question. As if they were just shouting it on the rooftops. Yeah. Like if I said, uh, uh, what, do, do, what do you think about Putin? Do, do you think he's an evil guy? Yeah, I think evil, uh, he's an evil guy. So then you'll be in the paper saying uh, you know, Pete Holmes says Putin is an evil guy. And Putin's like, why is this motherfucker talking about me? Right. Right, right, right. Next thing you know. You're drinking something that, you know. And you die? There you go. So I thought it was just delicious vodka. It's a premium. It's both. It's a good vodka country. Yeah. What's your vice? You look like a guy with no vices. <laughs> no uh, that's my magic. <laughs> oh, we thought we were talking about magic. Um, do you have any? Um, when you say vice. You know what, what I mean. Do you mean. I don't like, consider any of them vices, but mm-hmm. do you imbibe? Do you, do you smoke the Kron? Uh, take hallucinogens? I was never a drug person or hallucinogenic person. Um, never? Neither? No. Just never wanted to never do it. Never tried it? No. What, um, where'd that come from? Were your parents... I uh, just, I was just always kind of contrary, I guess. Everybody was kind of doing it when I was growing up, so I yeah. just decided not to. Right. And uh, some people close to me just had some bad things happening. You lost some friends and stuff? Or? Well, just... Like I, I remember, um, Angel Dust was big in, when I was coming up, actually, and some of that just real powerful stuff. And I remember there was a friend of mine. I played sports growing up. I was really big into sports, and we was really a sports neighborhood. And this guy, I kind of idolized him. We were the same age, but he was so good. This is in basketball. I just couldn't believe how good he was. And he just started smoking that stuff. And after, and he was like one of the smartest guys too. Yeah. You know, we went to different schools. I was in Catholic school. He was at the public school, but we were in the same neighborhood. And I remember after a couple of years, his brain was just fried, man. Really? And it was so sad. And this is a, I mean, it was in high school for Christ's sakes. Yeah. And stuff like that. I just didn't. I had friends like that. They were yeah, like working it was at the sad, Starbucks. Pete. I'm like. Sucking I, down the nitrous. There was just no point. Right. You know? Right. I just did. I think because when I came up, drugs were everywhere. It was just overkill. I mean. Right. People just throwing coke at you, that right. type of stuff. This is like the 80s and everything. Right. So I just had no desire to do what everybody was doing. That's how I kind of... That's very interesting. No, because I'm a contrarian by nature. So I'm like, well, if everybody's doing it, it can't be that great. And did, were your parents... <laughs> it was kind of what my feeling was. You were, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Did you? Did your parents kind of give you... you were, uh, we'll get into God later, but yeah. were they kind of like strict? No, there, no, there was none of that. My parents were divorced during that time and... Yeah, we were on our own a lot, you know, in in, in a lot of different ways. But uh, my sisters did plenty of drugs for everybody, you know, during that time. My older sisters. She did what, a drug? My my older sisters did plenty of drugs for, oh, for the whole family. Oh, oh really? Know? Yeah. So I kind of looked at that, too, and did, just kind of turned me away from it. Also, I played sports, and I didn't want to affect my body. Right. It was a big thing. See, you uh, had your conversion moments where you know somebody negatively affected by a thing. It, it was negative and positive. I think I... I can't, you know, I think a lot of us have control issues in different ways, especially doing what we do. Right. And I never wanted to be too much out of control. And I figured. That's what we were just talking about before you got here. Yeah. I, and I figured alcohol, that would, if I'm just going to choose one, let me go with alcohol. You know, number one, it's legal. Yeah. Right? That's nice. Yeah. You know, and I know, I know how to handle alcohol. I know when I've had enough. And I've always had a pretty good relationship with it. Like I've never got 
too much in trouble with alcohol. You can control the levels. Yeah, exactly. Like you take one hit of weed, yeah. and you never know. Jamie Lee and I. Uh, I was afraid of doing coke because I thought I would like it. That's why I never did That's coke. That's what I think. I thought, I, and I'm the type of person if I like it, it's going to be a huge part of my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I never got into like. Do you obsess on things? Coke. Like, I, here's there's two reasons mm-hmm. I'm asking. One because you just said that, right. and two because magicians love yeah. watching TV and playing with a deck of cards for nine hours. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> I think a lot of people in our profession do that anyway. Yeah. Like how many condos have we been in <laughs> where that's all we have to do? Right. Right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, there is so a certain attention to detail in some ways that I like and then there's attention to details that I don't like you know like when it comes to writing and when it comes to things like magic I'm very detail oriented very multi-layered but like in my life I could care less about a lot of that in fact sometimes it's a bit of a hassle yeah you know I'm more of a big picture type person you're like Obama leaving the butter out do you remember that no I don't remember that Michelle said something about like Mm -hmm. I don't get mad at Barack when he leaves the butter out right. because he's thinking about, you know, fucking oh, Congress or whatever. Very nice. So it's well, like you have to pick your might, battles. He might need that butter when he's fucking uh, with Congress. And maybe he's French. Maybe he's he just like, wants, uh, like, well, I still don't believe he was born in this country, so Brandon, maybe he's from France. Yeah. No, he's from Kenya. Come on. He's he's gone now. We can be honest. <laughs> Let's keep it real now. Come on. We can keep it a hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. What were we talking about? Magic and obsession. I get uh-huh. what Val and I call Peter projects. It's actually something okay. my, my roommate coined in college. And I get very obsessed on something. So, if, right. for example, I watched sure. David Blaine's magic special sure. and then didn't rest until I knew how to do every trick. No, I, I did that as a kid. That's why I got into magic. Yeah. I saw somebody do a rope trick and I couldn't rest until I figured yeah, it out. It's yeah, it's this itch. Yeah. It's a compulsion. Yeah, and exactly. This, and, and, and there is a control element to sure. it. Is there anything more controlling than having a coin that turns into three coins right. in this hand and a regular coin in this hand yes. and then making the, ah, gotcha, motherfucker. Right. Like, that's beautiful. It feels good. Yeah, and especially if you're saying gotcha, motherfucker, at the end of every trip. That's how. I mean, that's my abracadabra. Yeah. You just make them feel as horrible <laughs> as possible. That's, that's, your, actually the, that's your abracadabra. <laughs> that's the translation of abracadabra. That could be the name of your next book. Gotcha, motherfucker. That's my abracadabra. <laughs> 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 abracadabra is a Semitic word that means gotcha, motherfucker. Really? Wow. Yeah, I did not know that. Um, so There's you... so many mysterious Semitic words. <laughs> I just did not know that. It's interesting to say so, Semitic. Yeah. I like it. Always sounds offensive. Yeah, it does. Sometimes yeah. I say like that's Semitic storytelling. Right. And it sounds like I'm saying that's storytelling for dum dums from right. the past. Like, Stop being Semitic. Hey, no, I didn't say anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> oh, <whew. laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, you where did you see a rope trip uh, trick? Uh, yeah, I was a little kid and I just had to figure it out. And then I made my own cups and balls and fooled my parents with them. And they bought me a magic set for Christmas. I wonder if it was the same into, one that like we all got. That oh, one yeah, the plastic box. one. Yeah. Oh, the the <laughs> uh, magic set. Oh it was yeah, a kit. yeah, with the with the ball and base and all that stuff. It's yeah. kind of like stand up too, because if you yeah. want to learn how to walk on water or yeah. something, mm-hmm. some big piece, or or even just an amazing close up trick. Right. You have to learn the cup and the balls. Yeah. And it sucks, but it's this yes. filter process where yeah. if you don't have the grit and the patience to learn cup and balls, yeah. you don't deserve the glory for walking on water. There you go. Wouldn't and you say? I always I, I would agree with that. And I always felt like magic and comedy are very related. Like people always relate music and comedy a lot. Yeah. But I think magic and comedy have, have I completely have agree. kind of a a uh, They're sim- symbiotic relationship. Yeah. We can't like fuck, but we can hold hands. Why can't they? They're cousins. And your point? I guess we can we can fuck <laughs> if we pull out. Just don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> if one of us gets our tubes tied, we can fuck. By the way, we're both women. 
So I guess we don't need to tie our tubes. No. Unless you just want to. I just want to feel Can I tie your tight. tubes? <laughs> I got my tubes Are you tied. busy right now? I was wondering if I could tie your tubes. Just, no? Okay. It's just a question. Uh, it's a horrible opening line. You go up to somebody in a bar. Um, can I tie your tubes? I hope I don't offend you, but can I tie your tubes? <laughs> what are you asking exactly? All I'm thinking is if you can tie your poop tubes and just stop pooping. Why would you want to do that? Just a time saver. <laughs> You just walk around real blue. Well, there are things called colostomy bags if you want, <laughs> if you're interested in That's those That's called things. a poop tube, uh, t- tube tie. A poop yeah. tube tie. These yeah. are medical terms, of course. Thank you. So Thank you. Th- I, I've said on the podcast before, you're withholding something and then you reveal it. It's a punchline or it's a dove. It doesn't yes. matter. Right. You know the secret yeah. and you control. Yes. Or there's misdirection and then like uh, one of my favorite, uh, yeah, I love – like all the ages of comedy and that kind of stuff. Like um, Buster Keaton was one of my favorites growing, oh, wow. growing up. I got really into Keaton in high school. And uh, Keaton used a lot of what I call magic tricks, you know, in his comedy. And one of my favorites... What do you he, mean by that? Well, I'll tell you, where there's the, the joke has a set of expectations and a misdirection and a surprise that you don't see coming, mm. you know, <clears throat> which is what a lot of magic is. So in this one... Uh, Keaton is in one of those, you know, broken down cars, or whatever. It stops on a railroad track. I see. Yeah. yeah, and then you see the train coming. He's trying to push it off, push it off, push it off, push it off, and he can't move it. And the train gets closer and closer. And you know, he kind of does that, and then the train goes by because it's on a different track. We yes. don't know that, you yeah. know. But that's not the trick. the The real surprise is after he relaxes, the train comes the other direction and smashes the car to bits. <laughs> <laughs> so the first train was misdirection. It's like a street joke. Yes, you just com- explained it to me and yeah. it made me laugh. Complete misdirection. You think yeah. that that's the joke, and sure, a lot of people laugh at that. But the real joke is coming, and you have no idea it's coming. That's right. You know that it's like in a horror movie. Yeah. Again, going back, <laughs> I guess it's on right. my mind. Where you think the killer's dead and then he pops back. Like, you there think you the go. big punchline is that you clobbered him, but he's always back. Nope. Sorry. Yeah, the train is back and you're still in trouble. Abracadabra, motherfuckers. Yeah, I yeah, got you, motherfuckers. <laughs> got you, motherfuckers. That's right. so great. I, so I, I completely agree. I guess what gets offensive or weird or one of the reasons why magic gets a bad rap is because mm-hmm. so many of the magicians don't. Uh, so many of the magicians I've seen. Mm-hmm. I'll ask you if you think this is true. Okay. Often do corny ass shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> like they do great magic, yeah. but they're clearly like, like it hasn't pro- sometimes mm-hmm. hasn't progressed the way that stand ups progressed. So if you go to the Magic Castle, as I love to, mm-hmm. if you go, remember. go in the medium room mm-hmm. uh, or yeah, the parlor, the, press the digitation, the parlor, mm-hmm. uh, you'll often see, and I actually like it because mm-hmm. it's a throwback, right? But you'll see like French people are horny, Irish mm-hmm. people are drunk, sure, uh, whatever it may be. Because that's just what comedy was when they wrote the act in right. 1985. Or, or when whoever wrote the act. Yeah. That's exactly right. It sure. came with the fucking uh, handkerchiefs. Right. And so then I think started the beef between comedians and magicians. Mm-hmm. Because magic, I don't think, I mean, Blaine and Chris Angel are sure doing a lot of work trying to make it cool. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could even say it, it succeeded. But it, it, it is uh, because of that sort of... I was walk- I used to do a trick where I'd go, I was walking down the street in Manhattan, and I saw a guy playing three-card money. Did you, nine-year-old Pete? Right. <laughs> and, like, that made it so dorky. Yeah, well, the thing is, I think a lot of people have been exposed to bad magic mm-hmm. and bad magicians, but there's the other side to that. A lot of people have never seen really good magic and yeah. great magicians because they're just not available to be seen. Yeah. So there's this underworld of great magic and magicians that people just haven't seen, especially in the world of close-up. Yeah. You know, but most people see, like, a magician at a birthday party 
who you know is not going to be doing the type of things that you'll see in an intimate place like the the close-up room at the castle yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or at a convention or that type of stuff with some world-class magicians who are doing things that are just ridiculous. A friend of mine, his name is Joe Barium. Um, Barium, like the element? <laughs> no, Joe Barry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's amazing. And um, I was uh, hanging out with him in New York recently. World-class magician. Nobody really knows who he is, but he does like some ridiculous things. And I had him show a couple of card tricks. So a couple of friends of mine we were hanging out. And my friend, who loves magic, he knows just enough to get him in trouble, right? That's what I like to say. And he finally said, look, man, how come you can't just think of a card? Like, I can't just think of a card and then just find it myself. How come, like, it can't be that good? And so Joe goes, okay, think of, think of a card. And he goes, all right. And he says, what is it? He says, Jack of Clubs. He goes, go ahead. He, the guy takes the deck himself. You know, magician doesn't even take it. Joe doesn't take it. He says, just just count down and just uh, just stop when you feel like it. And I, I am not exaggerating. He takes the deck. He starts counting. He just stops, right? And then Joe just looks at him, and he looks back, and Joe looks at the deck and goes, go ahead, turn it over. And he turns it over. It's the fucking Jack of Clubs. And he goes, no! We're in a diner. He just runs like through yes. the diner, comes back. Magic will turn everyone into a black person watching yes, comedy. Well, he was already black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I call it the uh, black react is what I call it. Yeah. I've added black yeah. reacts to magic yeah. and comedy. I love yeah, it. Yeah, we used to do it on my show, the black react. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he actually sat down and he almost started crying. Yeah. That was the emotion. Now, he was watching a world-class magician do something you can never see somewhere. Yeah. You know, so that's the difference it's between like him, the experience between yeah. what you said and that is such a wide gulf. That's right. And a lot of people don't see that part of it. Yeah. I have a couple things about that. One, it is a little bit like improv. We've never successfully brought, yeah. in my opinion, brought improv to. Yeah. Whose line kind of did a little bit with the game? A little bit know? with the short form stuff. Sure. But I mean, the mad, the real, I mean, the real magic of being uh, there in person and seeing shit. something invented that is brilliant. And but then it's know. gone. And After that right. night, it's gone. Yeah. 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 That ceremonial feeling. Like, sure. It's almost like tribal. It can be really magic. Mm-hmm. But most people think improv is just kind of like, comedy that could use us a rewrite you know what i mean it's like, absolutely we could tighten and when it's up. bad that's what it feels like for sure right the other thing i want to put because the magic of improv is you're sharing something with the audience in the moment and the the contract that you have with the audience is that this doesn't have to be perfect it only needs to be quick in the moment and interesting Honest. yes yeah. and so the audience has a different expectation when they know something is prepared that's, that's why right. it's hard to do it on television because the audience expectations that this is a polished thing that's right you know, <laughs> it, it takes all the stakes out of it. Yeah, so it's hard to do. It's like a high yeah. wire act, but you know the wire is only a few feet off the ground. It, it just loses, the which to me is still amazing. It is amazing. I still couldn't <laughs> right. do that. Right, <laughs> I, I would make it even easier to fall because I know it's so safe. There you go. <laughs> the other, he, I, I would still have a net. Even with <laughs> it's just a fun way to get into a hammock. <laughs> Although the net would cause more injuries because there's no room for it to move. Yeah. It's like maybe you shouldn't have a net, Larry. You're stepping on the net like yeah. the springs on a trampoline. It's very hard to stand on a net. Fall on my face because I'm falling into the net. No, but you're gonna hit the ground. <laughs> but it's a net. You have to do like an acrobatic move where you're swooping to a laydown position. Yes, and that's impressive in its own right. Absolutely. So you uh, touched on something very interesting. Is sometimes I, I tell this to all the magician guests. I try to do that every morning. I try to touch on something interesting. Uh, You've done it. There you go. You've done it. Is that a dick joke? Uh, No. Uh, Hey, what are you thinking of? (laughs) You touch your interesting dick. Why would I touch a dick? I mean, come on. Your own dick. Oh, my own. That's true. That's true. You've got to touch an interesting dick. Yeah. If it's your own or if you're uh, into dicks. Yeah. I'm sorry for the dick. No, it's okay. I'm assuming this is my water. Yeah, it is your water. You can have both of these waters if you care to. Um, The idea that 
magic requires. See, that trick made your friend cry, right? Yes. He could not believe it. He set the parameters of it. He was in the presence of someone who is a master of what he does. Yeah. It was like, you know, that magic improv set. You know, that moment was so special. It's hard to even recreate a moment like that. The closest I think you and I have probably gotten to it is when – you want to do a trick and you just happen to have the prop on you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you weren't doing a show, but you happen to have yes. the thing necessary. You, so you really look magic. You fulfill some expectation. Or in stand up, some of the best shows, and I'm sure you probably, I don't know how much you ad libbed during your. A lot. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I did too. When it was, I would tell people Tuesday night comedy is so different from Saturday night comedy. Like yeah. to me, Saturday night comedy is date night. You pretty much do your act, they laugh in the right places, you know. And it's very, you know, you get maybe standing O's, who knows, whatever. Right. But for the comedian, it doesn't mean anything. Tuesday night comedy. You're killing me, you're miserable. Yeah, Tuesday night comedy, you have comedy fans who are coming out, people who want to see comedy. Yeah. You're going to be more experimental. You might bomb a little bit. Because the suck. contract is different. Yeah, you're in a different relationship with the audience, but it's much more satisfying. Oh, I completely you know, agree. Much more satisfying. I, I, I actually understand. just wrote a script for Crashing that I don't think we're going to use this season, but it's about working a weekend because mm-hmm. I love telling those secrets of the difference between Thursday and Saturday. Yeah. And I love Thursday. Mm-hmm. But then if you're like a filthy guy, you probably love Saturday. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like Thursday, you That's go out and you're like, mm-hmm. and then she squirted so far, I pulled out my cigarette. It's a little oh. bit weird on a weeknight. <laughs> Wait, I'm deconstructing that right now. <laughs> She's a squirter. Yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. It's interesting. It's there's a cigarette a, nearby. That was me. It was a, I, I'm now realizing it was a retelling of a Ray Romano bit about his kids peeing when he changes the oh, diapers. Nice. And he's like, yeah, I put on my cigarette. And then mm-hmm. he, I think he even says, why am I smoking while I'm changing the baby? Nice See? Nice device. See? I'm great, with you, though. Great minds. Yeah. I, I, I love mm-hmm. the Tuesday. I love the Thursday. I yeah. love the Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, when Maria Bamford announced that she was going to do, I think she does like Tuesday through Thursday. It's mm-hmm. like she does three nights, but it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I was like, that's genius. That's yeah. perfect. Mm-hmm. Then it's only those shows. There is no juiced up show. Right. Which right. I love. So anyway, it's, my question about it is sometimes I watch magic, especially on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not going to work really right. as well because it's film. Mm-hmm. But you're watching it and you see like this there's this one Japanese kid mm-hmm. who will pull a sandwich out of his hand. Mm-hmm. So he just holds his hand up like this and then he pulls uh like a very, very long hoagie okay. out of his hand. Mm-hmm. And you're watching it and you don't give a shit because right. it's too impossible. Yeah. So I was talking to somebody about the principle of like mm-hmm. even if you could hold a playing card right. in front of my face and then make it vanish. Mm-hmm. We as Homo sapiens would prefer you to put a hanky in front of it. Mm-hmm. We like that rule it it can't be so impossible because then you're in the realm of now we're just going to cry and you'd rather titillate us give us an op give your brain an opportunity to go Mm -hmm. he's probably doing something behind that hanky and then the other train hits the car you know what i'm saying yeah and i think it depends on the uh on the setup and the circumstances because i think the audience wants a magical experience but we live in an age of technology where you know, it's funny, the the magic that you do has to be so simple now in order for it to make a difference. Right. Because people are so sophisticated in their thinking. Where, like, 100 years ago, you could use technology to do magic, and it would be amazing. That's interesting. <laughs> you, know? you mean, like, yeah. what? Just, like, saw in half stuff? Well... Like a device that you build? Yeah, or, or yeah, just something something technological that the audience wasn't aware of. Right. You know, 
but now no one is mystified by something that could be explained through technology. Right. A new miracle is un- unraveled right. every day. So now right. we need – same kid. I saw him push yeah. an iPhone into a plastic bottle and it's right. sealed behind him sure. and they rattled it around. Sure. Those are the only tricks that seem to get our attention yeah. these days right? because it's something. It's matter it's going through matter. It's analog. Yeah. It needed to get – to stay relevant, it right. needed to get more simple. Yeah. So the audience wants – can only relate to you in analog now. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But do you have a guess on how that trick was done? Which one? The Jacket Club? Yes. Me too. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Because I only described it to you. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I have to. We have to talk about it after then. We could talk about it. Right? Yeah. We, we could talk about it right now. Yeah. One t- this happened recently, right? Uh-huh. We were, I was with my brother. They were talking about the trick uh, where Chris Angel gets someone to sign a card, then he throws it at a window, mm-hmm. and the card is encased in sure. the window. Mm-hmm. You see other variations. David mm-hmm. Blaine does it with a beer bottle. There's yeah. all these different tricks where a sign card... It's a trick card, that's been around for a long time. What's it called? Do you know? Card, I just like Card through window or card on window? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tricks are named very simply. Actually. I love it. <laughs> but and th- that's true. I'm not even kidding. That's exactly what it's called. Mm-hmm. I was with this other magician mm-hmm. named Elliot, who's a fan, so mm-hmm. shout out to Elliot. He was actually doing magic for Valerie and I, and we just got engaged, and he did the trick where oh, the cool. card, the, two cards become one card. Anniversary Waltz would Whoop. be the actual name of it. <laughs> That's a little bit more <laughs> flourishy of a name. Yeah. It's not just called two cards become one card. Yeah, it's called that too. Outside of a window. <laughs> it's not non-window version. Like, Man, Larry really is a nerd. I love it. How does he know that? Yeah, don't you know you're in good company? So mm-hmm. Elliot was there, my sure. brother was there, and my brother goes... Something that I don't know. I don't. I would, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this because sure. even as a spiritual person, it always bugs me when people imply that the trick is impossible. <laughs> it really bothers me. What do you mean? As a person of faith, I'm a believer. Okay. As All I right. say, I'm the person that mess. I mess up uh, pharmaceutical studies. They give me the placebo, and I'm like, my vision is better. You know? What I mean? Okay. Right. Like, I believe you in believe shit. very quickly. But it, maybe not quickly. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I do believe quickly. Okay. I don't know why I prickled at that. Yes, I, I believe quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a thoughtful person. I'll unpack it later. But right. I default, almost genetically... You default to faith. ...to believing in faith. I Got have no it. problem holding mysteries. Right. And okay. I, I like it. I like mystery. Got it. I like questions. I'm okay with putting my faith in something with the idea that maybe it'll make sense later. You have no problem with the willing suspension of disbelief. I'm a good audience member. Right. Got exactly. it. So, but I hate it when people go... Michael Jackson said David Blaine is real. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. He was like, I believe in you, and yeah. you're real. He's real. Yeah. And then my brother, my brother's a very smart person, mm-hmm. but he was like, you know, he was like, that's just the sort of thing that you see, and you're like, something else is going on here, kind of mm-hmm. implying the, <laughs> the demonic oath. You right. know what I mean? Which happens. <laughs> sure. Look at YouTube comments. They're all yeah. like, this, he's the devil. this guy's the devil. Right. In fact, I like watching those videos because they're often great compilations of amazing tricks. Yeah. So then in that moment, I decided to explain to my brother how that trick happens. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, no one even said anything. It was just such a fucking molestation. Yeah. And I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. I, 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 Why uh, did you do it? Because I really don't like when people think magic is is. Uh, Would real. you appreciate if someone did that to your religious faith? I like when that happens. Whoa. To my religious no, that, that's a, <laughs> no, like uh, religious uh, Bill Maher's movie. Yeah, yeah. love it. I, I love. I get off on talking to atheists mm-hmm. and stuff because I right. actually think that religion is a third way thing. Like mm-hmm. it, it's not a brain thing. So when we dissect it with the brain, I go, you're right. These are mysterious things that don't add up rationally in the way that we would build a bridge. You say religion phone. is not a brain thing. What do you mean by that? 
I'm, I believe it's a, a method to get you past your brain. Okay. Your brain is binary. It thinks in either or, and mm-hmm. it wants to make God an object. But as soon as you're making God an object, it's a thing that you're thinking about. Whereas a mystic is trying to merge into a thoughtless place where you are one with that thing. But isn't? But didn't religion go out of its way to anthropomorphize God? To turn it, yeah, absolutely. That, right. That's a great way to dummy. What I just said is pretty. I'm not saying it's that deep, right. but it's not that easy to understand. I have people mm-hmm. in my life that I say that to, and they're like, the fuck are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And then they go back praying to a man in the sky, and I understand that. Um, yeah. So yeah. You're, you're saying they're anthropomorphizing it to turn it into a thing. I think that is missing the point. I agree. But people believe that that is the case, though, not that it's a metaphor for something else. I, yeah, that's absolutely right. Right. That's why it's one of my passions <laughs> to uh, get people woke, black term. Nice. I just point to you. I like go, how you did that. Term. Yeah. I just really? found. I just. You thought I was gonna go. Really? Could you, what is that? <laughs> I just found people were so mad at me. I found out on the podcast. I didn't know woke was a black term. I just thought oh. it was like a term. I don't know where it came from. I didn't yeah. care. We call we call that Columbusing. Columbusing. Mm-hmm. That's when white people discover something that black people have already known about for a long time. Uh, the term woke. About. Yeah. We've been Columbusing you guys. Yeah. You guys Columbus you guys. all kinds of shit. Yeah. yeah. You're like the. Fa- Once you guys Columbus it, then we're done with it, though. No, I know. Like, Once what? I start saying it, it's oh, over. We're done. I'm the guy. Yeah. You don't know. You and the Today Show. Uh, but I'm. I'm <laughs> that was unfleek. All right. Uh, we're not saying that anymore. <laughs> I am patient zero. I feel like it's me that puts the nail in the coffin. Um, but anyway. That's funny. What was I? Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, God. Sure. Oh, it's one of my things to mm-hmm. encourage people that metaphor doesn't mean not true, it means more than. More than what we know yeah. as, as true. Very interesting. I look; these conversations are the type that can go on like in the middle of the night forever and ever. I know. Well, this is right. what we do on the podcast. I don't right. know if you know that we, we always talk about God on the podcast. <laughs> I like we, that. We've got it to a little early. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. So we could talk. I want to. I want to hear all your thoughts. I actually can I tell you something that I just found out. Sure. I thought this was great. Mm-hmm. So I just had a, a Muslim uh, friend of mine on the show named Azhar Usman, mm-hmm. and I was writing a script, and it had some. Uh, it had a scene in a mosque, and I wanted to get it right, what, right. what Muslim people say when they pray. I, sure. thought, I thought it was Allah Akbar. It turns out that is one of the things. Mm-hmm. And then he told me – I love this. Was he, it, wait, did you say Admiral Akbar? Was that, no, that's from ah! Star Wars. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. Is he the Nerd one? joke. Is that the four-armed <laughs> guy? Admiral Akbar. I think he talked about that. <laughs> he taught me the word sub, uh, subhanallah. Subhanallah. Mm-hmm. Which is, he says, is such an amazing expression in Arabic, which is impossible to translate into English. I would, I would say that the mystical pursuit is impossible to translate into any language. Mm -hmm. So they have this word, subhanallah. It is based on the word subhana, which is like saying something is incomparable and Mm -hmm. utterly beyond limitation, delimitation, or Mm -hmm. even description. So the phrase is kind of like God is utterly beyond perfection itself, meaning like we can't even touch it with our intellect. I understand, yeah. I bet you do. You seem like you're you're already there, Well, it serves both purposes. It, one, serves to calm the fears of people who think that God will be able to be deconstructed in a logical way because it gets rid of that. And at the other time, it, it also gives room for people to say, well, maybe, you know, the, your idea of you're putting in that place of the unknown because that's a safe space to be in because it actually can't be explained by those means. It's, it's, a, <laughs> it's both an explanation right. and a defense. Is that yes, what you mean? Exactly. It's like, hey, you can't touch my faith because right. my faith. Because I can't explain it. It's to not be explained. <laughs> right. Yeah, but don't yeah. you. But yeah. then science, <laughs> science is in 
deals with that all the time. You know, there are many things that can't be explained, and then after a while, they can be. And then I remember when Tim mentioned in my on. podcast, and yeah. I said the unknown, and he corrected me. He went the not yet known. Yes, like he's such a hard scientific, you know, material. No, no mm-hmm. metaphysics, anything. But you know, it's interesting to get a metaphysical or whatever. I've, I've kind of believed. I'm, I can get very philosophical sometimes. Please do. But this always, is the podcast. I thought that growing. This is one of my theories growing up that if it can be imagined, then it can be so. You know, interesting. And uh, the act of imagining almost renders it so. You know, so the the fact that you can imagine a god almost makes a god so. Interesting. You know, that's very trippy. Sometimes I catch myself <laughs> yeah. thinking. If you think it, it probably happened. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like if somebody yeah. put their poop in a Vitamix, it probably happened. Yeah, or or that it could be possible. Something could be possible. Like you see a lot of that with technology and science fiction. Something is imagined first, and then in time it actually becomes so. Are you, <laughs> you open know? to the idea of a collective unconscious that's kind of whispering these ideas to us, and we and we imagine them? And we, well, if they're going to be whispering things, I don't know if they're going to be choosing that. You as know? you touch something in, intelligent, like the akashic memory and that type of thing, you know. Um, I don't know. I I've always been kind of like I've always used Pasquale's wager. I guess as kind kind of a way to to go through things. Like, well, uh, I guess I'll bet on the side that things could be so. But I, I also have to be humble and acknowledge that I don't know. Yeah. You know. Well, that's that. So. I know. See, isn't it funny? I, yeah. I do feel kind of beautifully exposed that I have constructed a philosophy on God mm-hmm. that can't really be touched by rational arguments. Which, right. Which to that's a what lot I mean. People, that's the convenience of it. Right. It's, it is convenient. Right. And I experience a lot of peace because of that. Right. And then I can talk to atheists that are like, that's right. a bunch of horseshit. And I'm like, yeah, man, it is horseshit. Sorry. Or it isn't. It's sorry, like, not sorry. Sorry, not <laughs> sorry. I hear you and I agree with you and I disagree with you right. too. Like I, it's like kind of both. Well, atheism is also an ideology that has its own certainty, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So... Atheists write me all the time, and I've tried to do a mm-hmm. good job to reflect their views. I don't. I don't think. Um, that's why I like having articulate atheists on. But mm-hmm. they talk about – I've said this a million times. They just say an atheist isn't saying there is no God. They're saying the evidence points to no God. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there are two branches of atheism. There is the dispassionate non-belief in a metaphysical all-knowing being Yeah, you know, that is based on – you know, relying on science in the world. And then there's the passionate hatred of the idea of a God and right. the blaming of a God for society's ills and choosing atheism as the means to express that, that hatred. It's almost like creating a villain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I, I'm upset at the world. Yeah. And people do that with and a I'm lot ex- of... And I'm upset at your God right. for allowing this to happen. So that's why I don't believe in God. Right. Like, how could your God allow that to happen? You right, know, right, right. They take point it of view. very personally. Yeah, rather than... A more dispassionate scientific view, well, I don't see any evidence, so I choose not to think right. that that is a so. Right. right. I've been tripping out lately, though. <laughs> how, how could it really come down to the contents of your gray matter anyway? Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people say, like, do you believe in God as if a checklist in your brain right. is really your spiritual identity? It's like when, right. you're, when you die, we take your brain, we download its contents, and yeah. you go, Larry did believe in God. He took Pascal's wager, <laughs> and he said, why not? So let's let him into eternal paradise or whatever, yeah. which I, I just think, again, here I am in my freedom cocoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like to think that it, it doesn't really have to do with what you think you believe because your thoughts mm-hmm. are so transient. 
And like you believe something and then you don't believe something. And mm-hmm. also your brain is the thing that thinks Coca-Cola is a good time at the beach. Like your brain is so fucking right. stupid and your belief is so weak that for me, God is a place and, yeah. it, and it's a, I like to say, like I said on Fresh Air, clean antenna. Like you just want to be merging with what is right. in a beautiful way. And there's, there's also a trait that we have as humans that I don't know if it is in other species, which is narcissism, you know? Yeah. And well, that's that. Yep. Go Narcissism on. is at the root of a lot of religious thought as well. You Isn't know? that funny? Well, yeah. That's why God makes man in His own image. But the opposite is actually the truth that God has made in man's image. Mm, interesting. Mm. I, you know, I always <clears throat> used to take God making man in His image mm-hmm. as a narcissistic thing. Right. And maybe I take it even more narcissistically now, is because I'm like I've been fascinated with how every religion has some passage. That's the one in Judaism and Christianity and mm-hmm. Islam as well. Right. Uh, that suggests that all of us have a little like a little bugle of divine inside of us just right. the chip the bugle just a little bit yeah so we have the spark of awareness yeah so it's not so much that we look like talk about anthropomorphizing mm-hmm. we don't look like five-fingered you know right each hand ten toes mm-hmm. god we just have a touch of what makes god god yes. because god is what is but but what's interesting is when you look at the manifestation of let's say the the modern world's christian god um, because of, you know, the Nordic superiority in the world, that God is a white Jesus. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And is, and no one has a problem with that. And that's why I love whenever there are jokes about black Jesus, because it fucks people up. Because right. they don't want their God to be something that isn't white. Right. Or Jewish. I mean, his Judaism has really been stripped that's, away. That's my check. It still counts as white. What's that? <laughs> Being Jewish counts as white? Yeah, last time I checked. Yeah, not in my groups. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But I mean, like, I'm talking about... But you know what I mean. The it's, opening of Malcolm X, where he's painting the blue, blue-eyed... blue Yeah, I mean, Jesus. that's that's what I mean by the narcissism, too, right. you know. For sure. Like, well, Reza Aslan... Like, God's not a dolphin, you know. <laughs> Wait, what, do you, what do you mean? What, cult, well... Why not? Why can't God be a dolphin or something like that? Right. Like it has to be human form in the form that we feel is a superior. Well, it's like Santa representation Claus. of us. It's like Santa Claus, I suppose. You know, black Santa. Well, Santa Claus is superior to us. Mm, yes. Well, he is. He's omnipresent. He's <laughs> yes. all loving. He, right. he lives in the cold. Climate. I ain't mad that Santa's white, by the way. I ain't mad at that at all. You're not a black Santa fan. I don't require a black Santa to to receive the gifts that Santa wants to give. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't I guess, do you see the parallel between like a white god and a white Santa? The cultural, what I was going to say, Reza says that, I forget what, Reza Aslan, he wrote the book uh, Heretic. uh, And Santa, of course, is an anagram for Satan, which is convenient too, which is great. We all knew that. We all knew that. Yes. Because he gives us material wealth (laughs) instead of, you know, listening to God. Um, No, the idea that he said that most of religion is cultural. So -hmm. when you see a white Jesus, you're like, of course. Right. And we go to uh, Africa, you see a lot more black Jesus. Sure. When I was in Africa, saw more black Jesuses. Right. It, that's why I'm like, remember the Cosby show? I know. Uh, <laughs> you just have to say it now? I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> he had funny, that yeah. thing where the... Asterisk. Yeah. yeah. I'm aware. <laughs> yeah. Um, with the Asian kid and the black girl mm-hmm. and all these kids are asking what race Santa is. And he's like, whatever house. He goes down the chimney. Mm-hmm. Chinese. It was like probably in a stand-up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that I think is... is well, it's not. It doesn't excuse it, by the way, because there mm-hmm. is something xenophobic and racist about mm-hmm. stripping Christ of his Middle Eastern heritage, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But that does seem to be the primary function of religion is it gives us an identity like being a Yankees fan. 
Um, I'm an yes. American. I'm a Christian. Right. That that's the issue with mm-hmm. you know Muslims coming here. They're not us. They're that. They they already call themselves that, and we're us. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of fucking up our shit. Yeah. Or that's what people say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, fucking up our shit, man. That's your second book. <laughs> what do you believe now? <laughs> Where are you now? You were raised Catholic. Um, I always say I'm a Catholic. Catholic. <laughs> that's like a Horatius. Yeah, you know, you know, it's a Catholic. What a great term! Yes, I'm holding out my belief in the Catholic Church yeah. <laughs> to when I can fully embrace it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder if uh, that day will come. We'll it's see. A, it's a complicated. We'll system. see. Yeah. But we'll do you you uh, go to mass? I do go to mass. Um, uh, go with my kids and that kind of stuff. And um, I'm divorced, which is not good in the Catholic Church, but um. um yeah. Was that was, hard? Was she Catholic as well? Oh, you were both? very devout Catholic. So you're both pretty conflicted about that. Um, no, not really. No, no. I mean, I, your I, identity in a church when you were doing something. Because I, have I think like most that. Catholics have that kind of compartmentalization, where it's like, "Oh, Pope, you're so funny. <laughs> we don't care about that shit you're talking about." <laughs> you know, you know, they kind of. Uh, it's a very a la carte religion at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody nope there's no prefix menu that people are buying into in the Catholic Church rarely. Islam is a la carte. Thank you. Nice. So <laughs> I like that. It took me a second too. I was like, oh nice. A joke so bad you don't laugh, but you just go, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So you were devout in the rituals and the and the habit and growing the up I was cultural definitely. identity. Yeah. But when the Pope is like what did he say about divorce? Was he like, it's an... Well, the Catholic Church doesn't, you know, they frown on that. But things like birth control and all that stuff. It's like, get over yourself. Right. Get over yourself, guys. Come on. You didn't care. But you no. had the discernment to go, I'm going to pick up this part and I'm going to leave behind At a certain this point, I thought there are a lot of good things that religion serves um, as far as community. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't require me to just drop my brain and think that, you know... Uh, Certain things are like I don't have to be a cannibal and eat the body of Christ, you know, <laughs> yeah. and drink the blood. You know, it's so cannibalistic, you know. And of course, to, and to think that that thing is happening for religion to serve some good in my life. So you don't have to believe in transubstantiation to enjoy. Yeah, look, transubstantiation to me is a magic trick. Yeah, you know, um, but I don't think one requires the other. I mean, I think a lot of people do feel that way, and that's fine, but. There's a, a mystification of it, which I choose not to go down that Wouldn't you say that's a, that's a metaphor, though? Like, metaphors kind of help us get to a place. No, where- I think it is not a metaphor. It is the complete opposite. It actually is what it is. It is what it purports to be. That's what I'm talking about transubstantiation. No, it is. You- it's not a metaphor. Transubstantiation is not a metaphor. It is exactly what it purports to be. You mean the church's view? By the way, we're talking about transubstantiation, which right. is the belief that eating the blood, eat, drinking the wine, and eating the bread on the way down, it's an esophageal miracle turns into no, Jesus's. It's actually not an esophageal miracle. It's the 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 blessings that the priest does during the mass actually is when transubstantiation happens, not when it enters you. Oh. And that's why many times in the Catholic Church it's changed a bit, but the priest was the only one allowed to touch the host, you know, and there was the, now other people do, which my father thinks is heretical. He's yeah. Like, he's like pre-Vatican too. <laughs> but transubstantiation is a miracle. It is considered something that, it's a sacrament. It is holy. It's something it's that... It's magic. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's a magic trick. But I know how like magic it. tricks work. Ah! <laughs> that's the thing. 
And so I know when something's like, well, that's interesting. Okay, you know. Yeah. So you would take it and be like, that was just a way for me. Yeah. But the I understand, you know, what it's one of those whatever Catholic Church, okay. Fine, whatever. But look, as you roll but if there condom. are some but if there are some charity things that the church is doing and community things that help out people and you have uh, like I view that hour in church as a good reflective time, you know, and to you know, get the attention off of myself and all those types of things. There's a lot of good that comes with going to church for community and for sure. For uh, but why not, purposes like that. Why not just volunteer with something? Do you do you enjoy the well, spiritual? Well, because I already have that as a structure in my life, so I don't require it something somewhere else. But doesn't all the Jesus stuff get in the way? No, not at all. But you are ignoring it. No, I'm I'm only ignoring the mystical part of it. But you do it. So I, I sorry, it sounds like an right. expose right now. I'm saying okay. so. You do enjoy the idea of Christ. And his message. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a fantastic message. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why not just go and, and help the community, but go in a church, get fulfilled spiritually, and help the community. Sure, absolutely. But I don't require a resurrection to have to do that. You don't need Jesus coming back? No, absolutely not. I think his message is good enough without a resurrection. Interesting. So the resurrection was maybe it's, added to spice up the story a little bit? Well, that's how he's God. <laughs> I suppose right? when I look at it, I, I look at him pointing to the divinity in everybody. You know, he, he told the disciples, "You'll do mm-hmm. far greater things than these." He's mm-hmm. he's saying, "Are you a Christian?" I'm a Christ leaning spiritual seeker. So I like. Your what does that mean? It means that I enjoy. Cycle. Do you think Jesus is God? I think Jesus. Is, yeah, here's a quote for you. I think <laughs> Jesus Christ is the one and only God, and so am I, and so are you. Do you That's believe? A, well, hold on a second. <laughs> so am I, and so are you. It's different than Jesus being God. That's what I'm saying. This is third way thinking. I'm saying he's the, he's the only one, and so am I, and so are you. So, so what, is this what religious relativism? I don't know what you mean by that. Um, well, by religious relativism, by not choosing a God or God figure, by making everyone that, it's relativistic in what God is. It's pantheism. As against, well, I don't know if it's pantheism. That would be a belief in many gods. You're saying there's one God that we all are. Pantheism meaning God is in everything. Not a lot of gods, but God is in everything. Okay, that would be uh, – uh, God, we're getting into theism now. We've got a lot of theisms going. <laughs> right. Theoism. Right. That was cosmic. Okay, so God is in everything. So it's more like the force. Right. So exactly. So okay. we were talking about God making man in so his you, image. So you believe in a Star Wars – uh. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it were that cool. I believe something far uh, yeah. not as exciting, I suppose. But you grew up very traditionally uh, Christian, did. right? Yeah, Christian evangelical, church? yeah. Right. But I'm saying the spark of divinity that's in you that's making you aware. But that divinity you... is derived from? Oh, the source, the one. So there was one thing and it split so into there is... many things. So, so that one thing itself. doesn't exist anymore. No, no, no. Here it is talking to me. <laughs> in you, Larry. Okay, so there's like a, a thread that's in everybody. That's what I'm saying. And it's the combination of all that makes the one thing? Or? Yeah. Okay. So if you were one thing, right? So it's like a grid. I suppose, yeah. Grid's okay. a good what my, my thinking, it's an Alan Watts kind of thought experiment, mm-hmm. is if there was one thing, mm-hmm. like how would you experience yourself? You'd split into But that two. is the thought. That's what religion thinks, though. What's that? That it is one thing or that it is several things or whatever. But the one thing is just putting on a play. So instead mm-hmm. of just being one thing, right. and one thing not even looking at itself is just the, what the Buddhists call the void. 
Mm-hmm. They're, they're, when the Buddhists say we don't believe in a god, they sure. believe in the one thing not even looking at itself, which is perceived as absolute nothingness, right? Mm-hmm. So in my view, what's happening now is, is like a drama, is like a play. And the more we forget that it's being we observed. are – Yeah, we're the eyes of the universe observing ourselves. Okay. That kind of idea. And mm-hmm. Alan Watts has a great point that I can't get enough of. Mm-hmm. He goes, the more we forget our divinity, the mm-hmm. greater the drama, the greater the persuasion, and the greater the play, because we've gotten so far. So you do believe like in yourself. a communion of souls type of ideology. For sure. Like okay. we're a branch on a tree, sure. and some of us forgot we were a tree, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You're still part of the trunk. Okay. It's okay. Some, some, some of us feel it, some of us don't. Where do animals fit in that? It's a good question. Mm-hmm. Great question. What do you think? Um. Well, I don't believe in that community. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. That's fair. I kind of thought you were agreeing with me for some reason. I think animals, absolutely. I'm with St. Francis on them. Mm -hmm. Brother, son, sister, moon. And he looked at the animals as as our... Mm -hmm. I I guess it would be equal. We sure don't treat them as equals. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do believe that animals are part of that spark for sure. Hmm. Okay. Which is tricky. I'm a vegan, but I'm also wearing a leather belt. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we're all fucking full of shit. I eat animals because I acknowledge that they would also eat me. Ah, so it's like do them like how they do you. No, it's like it's fair game, man. Yeah. I think the the game part... If it wasn't, then I would be superior, right? <laughs> if it wasn't... I have no problem with humans being superior to animals, by the way. I have no problem with that. <laughs> You're an animalist? No, I, but I have no problem with that, you know, with certain animals being higher than others i got no issue with that and you won and we won and we won right now <laughs> you think they might make a comeback <laughs> well dinosaurs were at the top were at the top for a while that's true i mean i don't know well the, and that's this mm-hmm. i actually think the next thing might be and i'm not the only person that talks about this could be aliens that want to come and eat us or they already have what do you mean maybe we're cooking right now for them you know this is the big crock pot well people yeah. put them in the <laughs> earth to serve man remember? put them on earth it'll be done by the time we get home yeah exactly we're just in a crock pot time is different for the aliens. that's right yeah, yeah. this we're all... just cooking to the best version of ourselves right now so they can juicier mm-hmm. we are getting bigger that as brain is getting nice and juicy <laughs> now the brain is big mm-hmm. the brain is the exactly. delicacy those small brains they don't want that crap you what know? if we are like just a monkey brains we're and... a garden for aliens there you go might be. You never know. Do you? It seems like you. You said you like philosophy. I mean, uh-huh. that seems to be. I like those games. Sure, absolutely. What could I love be going that. on here. Love that stuff. Yeah. Well, enough about my my dumb thoughts. What do you? No, that, I what love that. Do you think mm-hmm. is going on? We have the church, which is good for what it's good for, and mm-hmm. it's a nice story that kind of helps us understand a deeper nature of things. Right. What What is your take uh, on on reality? Uh, wow, that's an open-ended question. Yeah, I could do a leading question. <laughs> yeah, your, my take on reality. So, what do you mean by that? You mean what's going on here? Like, what's consciousness? Or what? I suppose. Uh, also, here's a here's a more simple. I'll okay. reduce it. What happens when we die? Okay, uh, that's a great uh, way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Do our actions matter in some sort of mm-hmm. uh, ethical? Is there an ethical standard? Yeah. Well, that's the yeah the very very provocative, and of course. I have all that learning and unlearning from, you know, religion and all sure. those things, you know, about post-life and all those types of things, you know. But I think uh, our ethics do come from a community understanding of ethics and that type of thing. And, and whatever we say is that divine notion of it, you know, you know, whatever the uber ethics are, whatever comes from something else, you know. Right. I don't know, you know, <laughs> whatever. But, uh, you know... <laughs> It's funny. The human being is very interesting to me because they're the our evolution has been so specific, you know, 
and it's been so intense, I guess, at a certain point, you know, and, and it's funny that because we haven't seen it so much with other species, it does lend us to think that there is something divine going on, mm -hmm. and I understand that. So I, I find that very interesting, you know. And I'll acknowledge, I, sometimes I don't know where I land in terms of that. But here's something that I do think is a possibility. I think there are a lot of things we don't understand about um, dimensionality. Um, like there's a whole thought about multiverse you know, and those types of things. I believe that, yes, there are more things in third dimension, you know, right. that we just don't understand. I there are 13 dimensions that we Possibly, found. Possibly, yeah. yeah. I, I really want, you've counted. <laughs> no, but, I thought you said you don't smoke weed. <laughs> but I think, but I think like when you think of, uh, you know, spiritual phenomena or things like, there are things that can't be explained through normal scientific means that are available to us now. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be explained by something we learn later. I don't know. That maybe there is an existence on another plane that we just can't think of right now. Whether that's God related or it's just hyper, um, Hyper uh, physics. Yeah, I don't know. Right, you know, but it's very interesting to me. And what about know? death? When when we go death? I've been fascinated with death since I was like a, a kid. You were one of those fascinated with it. Yeah, you know, wouldn't just take uh, we go to heaven. As an I, no, I used to, well, yeah, you think that, but then you think, but what if not? Yeah, you know, what if? And like when people say, no, when you die, you just sleep. I go, but how do you know you're asleep? What does that mean? Yeah, what? And my head would be exploding. I remember staying up long hours just thinking about that. For you know? sure, me too. And I'll be honest, I'm. I still don't know what that answer is. Yeah. I don't. That's why I say when I take Pascal's wager, you know, it would yeah. be nice. But even the thought of heaven sounds weird to me. That just sounds like a country club type of thing. I completely you know? agree. It just seems weird. Unpacking uh, heaven is is a great thing. It to almost do. seems more logical. The uh, the evolution of of a soul or that type of thing by continuing to go through this type of process. Like there's as to me, there's as much validity for that type of thought as there is for a destination. Right. You know, because where could you go? Yeah. Like the destination idea is interesting, but it is very clickish. You know, I remember there's this great thing. In the National Enquirer once said heaven, heaven full. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> like the Jehovah's Witness are saying that is the Jehovah's Witness say heaven full. You well, know, no is, more admitted. There know? is that number in Revelation. Yeah. That people love to quote. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what does that mean? You right. know? Right, right, right. So I don't know what it means either. I wish right. I understood. So maybe there's a destination or maybe there's a journey. Two schools of thought. But or maybe there's nothing. But doesn't uh, our existence on in this reality always suggest journey? You know what I mean? Like I it's think possible. We um, look for those clues in in our surroundings. possible. But you know there there are many ways to uh, put a value on what you're doing right now. Some people put a value on it by saying there's a reward to come if you act properly. Mm -hmm. Or there's a punishment to come if you don't act properly. And the other way to think of that is like, this is your only shot. So why not be the best version of something right now? Because right. there is no other shot. Right. There is no after and this or that. This is it. Right. So, the, you know. I wonder if that's the misappropriation. And oh, the, other, the third one is, if you get it wrong now, you'll have another shot at it and another shot at it, and there's an evolution that goes with that, too. Right. right. I tend to lean towards that one. It's really? Nice to speak to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in the Bible as well. A lot of it was taken out. I don't know if the Bible believes that. Remember, uh, I don't think the Bible believes you have more shots as a human. When they asked who John the ba who Jesus was, mm -hmm. they were like, some say he's John the Baptist, some mm -hmm. say he's Elijah, some say. Right. They're talking about reincarnation. But he and John were alive at the same time. I know that's confusing. As right. I was saying that, I was like, this is weird. Right, right, right. But there's another verse 
There's only a couple. There's another verse where they say this man was born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? Mm-hmm. The idea that he could have sinned in a past life and was born blind. Like, wh- where did I don't it know come it, from? I don't know if I agree with that. I think that inf- that in, in the implication is that he has sinned in this life to bring that on or something. But the the sins of the parents being visited upon the children is an old idea, also. Sure, you know that exists in mythology and all those types of things. I hear you, but I don't know if that's. I might be grasping at reincarnated. Yeah, stars. I'm not sure if that's an explanation of reincarnation. It's been it's uh, been explained to me that in the, mm-hmm. the Council of Nicaea and all that, right, Constantinople, mm-hmm. they took a lot of that stuff out because it's not. Well, that is that is true. Yeah. It, at Nicene, they, there were many things that were discarded because they. It's they, just not convenient. Exactly. It's not. It, it takes the power away from the church, and this kind of goes Completely. back to what we were saying right. about power structures. And yes, stuff. and talk about power structures. Mm. How many people? How many comedians know about the Council of Nicene? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I'm not surprised. Yeah. That I feel yeah. like there isn't anything I could say to you that you no, haven't no. heard already. I know just enough about a lot of different things to get me in trouble. I guess that's great. You know, me too. Yeah. But if you push a little bit, there's a very few things I know <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot about. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you know. I understand. I don't I, know if I'm an expert in. in well, I well comedy. I don't know. You're an expert. I guess so. We are an expert you, in that. But you, I, when yeah. I was looking at, I didn't even know all the things you've yeah. done. Uh, I want to talk about showbiz after yeah, this. Sure. But, um, and this is kind of your wheelhouse. I've actually been sure. proud of myself that we haven't talked about anything racial yet. Yeah. Because uh, I'm sure. I've you, been thinking it though. Yeah. This white motherfucker is going to ask me something. Fuck this motherfucker. <laughs> you picked of all. I just know it. Of yeah. all the you black can have guys. my water too. What are you trying to say? You uh, call me? Uh, <laughs> you went with Jerry Curl, seventies black guy, angry on the I street know. with a tan leather jacket. Nice, this yeah. huggy bear. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a huggy bear mm-hmm. style. Um, but when you were talking about the idea that the reward is coming later, certainly, or the idea of a reward, yeah. Well, slaves, yeah. uh, you know, spirituals mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. Mm-hmm. Also, the Jews that were enslaved mm-hmm. had a lot of that belief of sort of like, don't worry, sure. later. And a, a that, lot of modern thought and black nationalist thought is like, fuck that. We yeah. want this shit now. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Know, yes. That's right. That's right. right. And, and you kind of saw that's, that. That's one of the ideas of woke. <laughs> is that right? Well, yeah. No, it's like, sh- no, motherfucker, you don't get to do that. That's right. Yeah. My eyes are open. Right. Right. I'm not believing the fairy tale. Yeah, this shit has to stop right now, not, you know, our day will come and right. we shall overcome. No, we're overcoming now. It's kind of the, yeah. am I wrong? I'm not an expert. That's more the Malcolm X kind of approach. It's like, well, it gets it gets easily put into those categories, yeah. I think. I think Malcolm, in some ways, was just as cautious as King, if you might say, if you're going to say cautious. But King just had a specific approach to to how he felt progress could be made. You know, Malcolm agreed with King on a lot of things, but I think, uh, you know, his rhetoric was a little more fiery. But remember, Malcolm was not leading a movement in the way that King was, mm. you know, and Malcolm was not leading. You mean just by, by sheer numbers? I mean, they were both well, yeah. giving talks. Malcolm was not going to the White House trying to get legislation changed and that type of thing. Was he not invited? Well, the, he just wasn't doing that. That yeah. just wasn't what he was doing. It wasn't, you don't think that's even what he wanted to be doing? I think he was leading a philosophical movement and a spiritual movement, but not a ground movement. And that's just not my opinion. That's Right. I yeah. again, we're not. Maybe yeah. you're not an expert. <laughs> this is a very big topic. I mean, but he just wasn't right. Yeah, it's interesting. But so, uh, Dr. King was doing more that was an one. actual movement that had structure, right? That was looking for specific change through legislation 
to, you know. And needed bodies and needed and volunteers. needed all kinds of things. Had like a structure. That's <laughs> correct. like a grid. Yes, yeah. and an idea behind it and a purpose and, a, and goals and those types of things. Right. Yeah. I saw a lot of what I was yeah. saying and what Dr. K uh, mm-hmm. taught, which was that trying to see God in their oppressor, trying mm-hmm. to see the oneness, yeah. trying to see that I'm wearing a white guy suit and you're wearing a black guy suit. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that in when when I hear him speak. I think that's mm. one of the reasons why it was so powerful to let someone hit you. Mm-hmm. It seemed so – I think maybe to uh, some people it was like, that's weak. And I was like, no, that's, that's very strong. Yeah. That's what Jesus did. Well, also, uh, it's hard for people to understand the implications of King's world today, you know, and what that – well, I mean, the way that blacks were treated in society was horrific, and it was casual, and it was, it was just done. Right? You know, there like was looking at your cell phone. Yeah, that's why you. That's why the notion of th- there's this notion that uh, people were violently racist to do these things. It's the opposite that is more insidious. That you could have nice people committing these horrible acts because so- it's. It was just, it was just like breathing or going right. outside. Right. You know, it just wasn't a big deal. It was so offensive, it wasn't even passionate. It was just what you did. It was just like you wear a coat and you put down a black person. <laughs> That's why I give the violent racists a lot of credit. You know, <laughs> at least they. Yeah. Man, oh no! They came out. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to be a nigger now. No nigger tomorrow. I mean, man, they were working overtime to do that. You know, whereas most people were. They weren't trying to make things happen or just accept things or whatever. But the the world that King lived in was a completely different world. The thought that you could be violent against that society to get your means, oh, no. Remember, that was a world of lynchings mm-hmm. and collusion from police, from judicial systems, from institutions. There was no means where where you could you know, get any justice. Right, you know, there's right. an old Richard Pryor joke, you know, niggas go downtown looking for justice. That's all they find. Just us. Yeah. <laughs> ah, <laughs> you I forget how Richard, they don't that shoot. Joke, that's a truth joke. But, that's he, a truth he, bomb, but he also yeah. likes wor- uh, wordplay, yes, which I did. like. Cause he he's did, like, they yeah. don't shoot cars, you know? Yeah. yeah. They shoot me cars. Thank you. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. That was a, a set and spike. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love wordplay too. Me, which is great. Cause he's the yeah. master. Yeah. But the master knows that every once in a while you dip into the dad joke pool yeah. if it's necessary. Right. Or Just, the dick joke. Right. Or the dick joke or whatever you want. Yeah, Go matter. filthy, whatever. Yeah, whatever cares? it takes to get some of that sweet, sweet truth all in yes, the belly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, so it makes sense that the nonviolent approach would be the only practical approach to get something to, to get something accomplished. Because that was the vocabulary. That's what we it had. Was, but could you imagine an armed opposition yeah. to racism? Right. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been a massacre. Yes. Yeah. A complete genocide. It would have yeah. been the racist cops happiest day. Not but so you're saying racist cops. I know, just it would have been the cops. <laughs> yes. It would have just been America saying, "Sorry, niggas. Yeah. This ain't going to happen today." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Wait, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to ask you something that mm-hmm. Colbert asked you on this topic. He said that your show, which was great by the way, 250 something. Oh, episodes? Yeah. I don't know. That sounds right, though. You killed it, man. Oh, I thanks. did 80 episodes of my show. Yeah. It, it was two years of my life, and I'm very proud. Like you Was and it I, once weekly, your show? It was or four was it, times a week. It was four. It yeah, was just, yeah. yeah, right. But we had a big break in the middle. Very yeah. confusing. Those are disconcerting. Very 
very confusing know, to yeah. the fans. I know. And then we but came you back. You did it, man. You did it too. Yeah. I'm saying we were in it. I feel like I did it yeah. with eighty, and you did that many times over, which yeah. is incredible. You should be really proud of yourself. No, I'm very proud of that. That was fun. And yeah. and the question Colbert asked you, and it was great, by mm-hmm. the way. I, I'm, I'm it's weird, but I'm proud that you did it. And it's oh, great. thanks. And Likewise. he said, "Thanks, man." He said, "John Stewart said you was starting a conversation." And mm-hmm. you said this great thing about how all issues come down to uh, race, gender, or and class. class. Yeah, I just like to. What, what should people know? This is so. This is so mm-hmm. stupid. But I'm not just asking any black person. I'm asking mm-hmm. you, someone who's made a point to help other people get woke. Sure. What What are things that we we should be talking about? What are things we should know? Um, well, to me, it's funny. <laughs> that was a John Stewart way of uh, feeling that. You know, I, I felt the nightly show should be a show where we're um, sticking up for the underdog, you know. Mm-hmm. And so where does that underdog exist in a way that we should be talking about on our show? And from John Stewart's point of view, he said if you pull back almost any big problem in America, there's it, it's going to be either race, gender, or class that is going to be at the root of that mm-hmm. problem. So it was the combination of those two thoughts that made up the, the DNA of the nightly show. Mm. Um, Isn't it funny how shows have mission statements? I just love a little glimpse at one. Every show that I've done. It's got to have like a constitution or something. You have to. And Isn't I, that right? Wow. And I, I, you know, I mentor writers all the time, you know, and I love talking about this stuff. And uh, I always say, you should be able to say what your show is in two sentences, one sentence. That's how you know it's powerful. Like the Bernie Mac show. Um, for me, that shows children are terrorists. I don't negotiate with terrorists. You know, ah! <laughs> I mean, it was that simple. It's great. It's in the can DNA I... of every scene. Yes. If you you could look at an episode and you can choose any scene, and the DNA of that is in that scene. Isn't that brilliant? Yeah. That's what Berbiglia told me. Yes, I wrote the episode about my parents, and he said every scene should be in service Correct. of the message. That's of the exactly episode. right, Pete. Yes. can't relate to his parents. He's afraid they won't love him there or whatever go. it was. Yeah. And I wrote it on a piece of paper and I put it above my yep. desk. So and I always say you hold on to that for dear life. Other things can change around it, but that's what your thing is. Brilliant. And that's what writing is. Brilliant. Right. Uh, Janet Leahy, a great writer, she wrote on The Cosby Show, said on The Cosby Show, I know. He's, <laughs> they, they said, they now said, I know what that is. <laughs> I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, can Cliff take a nap? Uh-huh. It's almost it's it's not similar to Bernie mm-hmm. Mac, but it's I like understand. these fucking kids are stopping. All right. he wants to do is take a nap. Sure. So Bernie doesn't n- take shit from children. Doesn't negotiate with terrorists. Doesn't negotiate with these <laughs> right. terrorists. But you have that sort of mm-hmm. uh, thing. You were saying that John helped you uncover class, yes, so, culture, so, uh, gender, race. Well, that's that's what the kind of what the purpose of that show was. Yeah. You know? And by doing that show, like sometimes I tell people, sometimes you don't know what you're passionate about until you have to show up for something, you know, until you have to take a stand for something or or make a statement about something. And Nightly Show is a great example of that. So there are many issues that once you become aware of them, you have to have an opinion about. And once you state that opinion, you realize where you stand. Interesting. Yes. You know, because outside of that, what are you choosing between pancakes and eggs, you know? Right, right, right. That you're not forced to make those types of opinions in everyday life, right. you know, to make those stands. Yeah. But now, if you're an advocate or you're standing up for something or for people or looking out for the underdog, or whatever, now that clarifies how you feel about things, and so that becomes your expression on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and for me, it was a great exercise of just reminding myself, oh, okay, yes, that is important to me. <laughs> I see, or this needs more clarity, and I think this needs more explanation. Um, hmm. I found one of the biggest problems, which I already felt too, 
is a problem of class in America. And I had some great talks with Bernie Sanders, you know, on the show and that type of thing. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know. He was great. <laughs> but look, our election was completely, almost exclusively about well, class. When you said that, yes. John Stewart's comments about Trump, he was yeah. like, I live on a street with some Trump supporters. Yeah. And these people aren't – they don't hate Muslims. Right. They can't pay their health insurance. Correct. That's a class issue. Yes. And then I went, right. ah, empathy. Thank and, you. And America is going through a huge class issue over the last – 30 years or so Mm. Um, and a lot of it and there's many reasons for it or whatever but a lot of things are connect our self-esteem is really hooked up into our ability to take care of our family through a means you know Mm. I mean that's an American identity that's right and it's really ingrained in American identity that rugged individualism that type of thing just get off my land you know I'm taking care of my family all those Mm -hmm. types of things it's very ingrained providing yes that's why people um, regardless of your ideological position, it's the biggest reason why Americans kind of don't like the big socialism word, socialism with the big S as mm-hmm. opposed to the small S, um, because it goes against the basic American idea, you know, that we're all, it's just an ingrained that we let's take care of ourselves here, whether that ourselves as community or family. It's funny that you said that because I've heard it said by Ram does the idea that Trump is, is kind of, the result of an individualistic mythology as a country. Well, it's a, it's a, well, it's funny because Trump is more of, he's more of a lucky recipient of these things because he's not an ideologue and he's not a leader of a cause. You know, he's a very fortunate recipient of, of an outpouring of expression Mm. by an electorate, you Mm -hmm. know, almost like a mascot. Yes, he's very lucky. Whereas Ronald Reagan um, had an ideology, and he was the leader of a movement and the leader of a cause. Completely different, you know. Hmm. Um, so that's why Trump has no bearings, you know, and why anything can happen. Which is one reason why I'm concerned about this administration. Because he doesn't. If he have, were an ideologue, we would know what more to expect. Because he doesn't have the two sentences that explain his show. Well, it, it, he has one word, and it's Trump. <laughs> That's true. He is he's not a conservative. Let me he, go back to the core of of my mission. Yes. Trump. He, okay. It's true. He, it's true. His mission statement is Trump. Yeah. That's his mission statement. Yeah. It's not conservatism. Yeah. Look, if if he was truly a conservative, he would not want to uh replace and reform um Obamacare. He'd just want to get rid of it. Mm. Because why would you want the government involved in health care at all? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't. No. So why would you want a, a worse version of Obamacare? Right. That doesn't even make sense. It sounds like the kid before the test doesn't mm. want to, like, scrap his uh, his right. science project, but, like, fix it because he doesn't want to think about it at all. It, yeah, he just it wants makes, to get it over with. It, yeah, it just makes no sense. So <laughs> so Trump's I- ideology is Trump. Well, you know, that is his ideology. Well, wouldn't you say mm. – can't you see that as a, uh, like take India for example, more mm-hmm. of a communal mythology? The mm-hmm. idea that we're it's not perfect. I'm not Are even you talking saying, about spiritually or I'm just talking government. about socially. Like okay. it's like kind of there's there's a, I'm not even an expert on this. I'm just mm-hmm. saying it seems to be a little bit. It, the idea of your life as a work of art is not something that people in the East necessarily have. We go, 
I want to have the best life, the best car, the best mm-hmm. job, the most money, the biggest house. I want a mansion. I want this. I want that. I don't think you see that as much in those cultures as much as you might see like I live with my grandmother. Mm-hmm. I'd love to give her a comfortable bed to die in. Right. And that's not just poverty. That's a worldview. Mm-hmm. So we, we've been over here going if you kill 10 deer and you can only eat eight and two of them are going to rot, just let them rot. It's your fucking deer. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Over there, I, I think it might be different. So Trump is the ultimate – Give me all my deer. I know I can't eat them all, but fuck you, they're mine. He's a narcissistic sociopath. Yeah. He, <laughs> I like that you he, said it. He is, on, he is completely interested in himself, and he has an inability to empathize with anything else. And you know what Jed pointed out to me? Right. He never laughs. No, he's that's humorless. The, that's the craziest thing. He's completely thing. humorless. That's, yes. But he's also a dullard. You know? <laughs> he is. He, he has, he, there's no wit that exists yeah. inside of him you yeah. know, at all. And wit is a nice example of intelligence at work. For sure. You know, a uh, mobilized like, intelligence, yes. Yes. I mean, say what you, people like dumped on Bush a lot, which sounds weird, dumped on Bush. Yeah. But Bush had his own wit. Too. He, he right. actually had some wit. You know, Obama had tons of it. For C- sure. Clinton, kind of, but... He was so charming, it didn't really matter. He was charming, but right. he didn't have much wit. Right. He was almost humorless in some ways. Right. You know? uh, Reagan had tons of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Car- Carter had more before he was president than while he was president. Somebody gave him a memo. I, I don't know cool what with the knick-knack jokes. He was so charming before he was president. Huh? <laughs> It's true. I love it. If you, I mean, I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah, you know. I wouldn't know if that's true or false. Nixon had none. Yeah, uh, and Kennedy know, had a shit ton. Tons. Kennedy was like, ah, oh, after all, even the way I talk is uh, funny. Eisenhower had it also. You know, yeah. Eisenhower was very charming, very witty in his own way. You know, um, so. Well, we're talking about heart too. I mean, there's something human yeah. and emoting about that. But also the ability to. To show a thinking process that's going on. Right. You know, and that you're in the moment and that you're engaged in that back and forth. Right. You know? That's right. Yes. Yeah, not you, just, you're not just waiting to speak. That's right. Like right. when I said to you, what do you think about animals? And you're like, but you're the one that says, <laughs> that's that's when I knew you were really here. Yeah. I've known you were really here the whole time. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I was like, right. this is a person who's with me. Yes. They're, they're not just waiting to speak. Active listening right. is what I call it. Yeah. Um, so Trump, to me, that's why I call him a dullard. He just waits to speak. <laughs> he already knows what he's going to say. He he doesn't have a a uh, eloquent way of saying the things mm. that he wants to say. You know, it's he just speaks right from the id. Mm-hmm. You know, that funny. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just how do I get my dick in this cake? Yeah, that, I love that. <laughs> I just want to put. Have my... you used that before? I have said that one. How before. do I get my dick in this cake? Is fantastic. <laughs> that's your third book. <laughs> An explanation of the Trump presidency. How do I get my dick in this cake? I love that title. You know what I said? It was a conversation. That should be the first book, actually. Yeah, it's topical. I said it to Judd. I was like, once you're so rich and powerful, and I meant before he was president, you don't want to just eat a cake. You want to fuck a cake. I completely believe it. weird That's fantastic. In fact, I used to... uh, it's so funny. But this is great, by the way, because we both have an interest in so many different things. You know? <laughs> I actually spent time developing my own philosophy. I'm going to write a book about it, actually. Really? But it's called Creation. I'll share it with you at some point. Yeah, please. But, uh, but uh, I was trying to help people uh, in the weight loss area using this philosophy. And I was – I love deconstructing things and that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, sure. And I said, look, let me tell you what the problem is with foods that are bad for you that you want, you know. You don't want to eat a cheeseburger. You want to fuck that cheeseburger. Ah, <laughs> you know? That's so that's funny. Because I'll tell you why. Because when you think about it, you don't go, 
Oh, cheeseburger. Well, yeah, that sounds good. No, you think of like this. Oh, yeah, cheeseburger. Oh, man. Right. Oh, it sounds so good. Oh, the you places go, oh, it'll take you. Oh, that chocolate. Oh, you yeah. want to fuck those chocolate chip cookies. That's, That's what right. you want. That's right. So the way to break off your relationship is not to act like you don't. You have to be indifferent to it because indifference kills relationships quicker than hate does. Isn't that funny? You know, and so you have to practice indifference. So I was getting people to practice indifference towards things. That's right. And going, do you want that cheeseburger? Eh, that's okay. And just acknowledge, yeah, it's great, but uh, and just practicing indifference because you have to break off That's your it. wanting to fuck it. That's right. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I've yeah. heard I've heard something similar, which is like mm-hmm. you have to say, I can have it, but I don't want it. Yeah, it's and the you same can thing. change. Yeah. If you think of that skanky, yeah, STD laden cheeseburger, yeah, and you go, oh no, yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna get from that. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah, it, I do want to fuck it, right. absolutely, right, but right. I'm not going to. And then you fuck a big old stock of celery because <laughs> it's begging for it with that, with that groove, <laughs> that groove. <laughs> Hey, it, it wouldn't have the groove if it didn't want it. It wouldn't have that groove. It's all green and stalky. Asking mm. for it with that beautiful ooh, hair. Ooh, celery. Oh, what are you? What are you doing there, celery? I don't. Where's radish? I don't see radish anywhere. I guess you're by yourself. Huh? Radish doesn't want any. Well, I guess you're by yourself there. Aren't you, celery? <laughs> you stack two celery stalks on top of each other. Oh, then you put your ants on that log. You better stop that celery. <laughs> so I love it. So speaking of, but anyhow, what were we talking about? We're talking about uh, Trump and all that stuff, and right, what right. people should know. Am I? I'm going to risk embarrassing myself. Did I see mm. you in the documentary of the Thirteenth? I thought I was. Were, yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah, they had a clip that of my show. That could have been a weird moment. Yes, mm-hmm. they had a clip of your show, mm-hmm. and I was, and that movie changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we, we couldn't talk about the. <laughs> I say this knowing it's kind of funny. The raw deal mm-hmm. Black America has been given, mm-hmm. and I, I just wanted to talk about it. I mean, what do you mm-hmm. what do you think about all that? About um. Just the way that we need a scapegoat. That, that mm-hmm. culturally and throughout history, it seems to be mm. we take a group and we uh, impose a certain stereotype yeah. on them. Mm-hmm. Typically, they want to fuck our women. Right. They, you know what I mean? Typically, yeah. they're not smart and they're violent. Yeah, and it's it's turning uh, people into animals, and we've seen this done with yeah. different groups. We saw it with Jews and and right. they're this and this, and then blacks got this other set of labels. Uh-huh. All is a system of control i mean isn't that kind of what the 13th is saying well blacks remember it wasn't just um i guess what you might call your normal discrimination you know like the irish were treated horribly when they came over here right but no one really thought the irish were subhuman right they just thought they were low class right you know and which uh, let's be honest I mean, who are we kidding? I'm half Irish. I can say that. I can say that. (laughs) But blacks were treated as subhuman, you know, that there was something less human about them. And that's that's a more... Like built for work, I remember. Yeah. That that fucked up expression. The athleticism. And breeding, right, and all that kind of stuff. And breeding? Oh, you mean like the like horses are bred? Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, slaves were sold for their ability... To be good breeders, too. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That was the oldest joke they found, by the way. Well, you know really? The oldest known joke? No. Like they found it. it. They just found it? Sumerian or whatever. Like in the in the Dead Sea Scrolls or something? It's Dead Sea Scrolls style wow. found the oldest joke recorded. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I was, I'm shocked because I would think it would be like a cave painting where someone Maybe there is. a joke I mean, you know, you draw a dick. It's right. pretty funny. Yeah. Hey, it's a dick joke. <laughs> yes, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in our DNA. Hmm. The oldest joke is a, a, a man goes to a slave 
traitor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this isn't the slavery that it American. sounds hilarious already. I know. <laughs> and he goes, he buys a slave, uh-huh. and a week later, the slave dies. Mm. The guy goes back to the slave trader and says, "Hey, the slave you sold me died." And the, the slave trader says, "That's weird. He never did anything like that when I had him." That was wait. It's almost when you not say the oldest joke. joke. So this is like slaves back in like the Egyptian times. I, I suppose so. Yeah. Wow. I mean, slavery has been around. I believe that racism hurts slavery more than anything else. Racism hurts slavery. I really do. What does that mean? Slavery was an unbelievable way to get things done. <laughs> but racism just tainted it like no other thing. <laughs> like we had a good thing going. Some of the most unbelievable structures in the world were built slavery. by slave labor. Absolutely. I, I've flown to yeah. see them. But once you put racism in it, you know. Well, that's why I like, it. I like the alien overlords coming <laughs> yes, and having right. their hand in the pyramids. <laughs> yes. That takes the uh, the bite out of yes, that Yes, but if you look at the things made, you know, by unions or construction or whatever, monstrosities. Things made by slave labor, pyramids, things like that. The White House. Yeah. Wonders of the world, but isn't that one of the? Mm-hmm. Uh, neither of us want to be slave apologists, <laughs> slavery apologists. But the mm-hmm. idea that, like American society, really needed slavery, like it mm-hmm. was an essential thing to get us where we needed to go. I've heard it said. That's not me talking. Mm-hmm. Um, like you needed, che- you needed free labor to like, and it was with the Chinese and the railroads, and it was mm-hmm. with blacks, obviously, different shit. And and you could mm-hmm. say it, it's certainly different. That we have uh, a lot of Mexican Americans doing work that people don't want to do for less than human wages. Um, the idea of owning human beings <laughs> very different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I just jump ahead. But it's an, but you're right about it being an old concept and construct. I mean, the world just accepted it. I mean, right. even if you go back to the Bible, there were rules for how slaves should be treated and that stuff. But right. there, but there was well, hold on a second. How about the rule that there should not be slaves? Right, right, right. Know, Where was that? Of how slaves are treated. Right, know? right. So uh, I guess I was just picking your brain on the idea of the story of blacks in America uh-huh. and what people need to keep in mind when we talk about things like mm. black lives matter mm-hmm. why do people prickle at that so hard have we really yeah. been so hard indoctrinated into the idea do we still quietly believe that blacks aren't you know people well those are those are tough things because something like black lives matter is is a movement that people can disagree with and still have empathy for how blacks may be treated mm-hmm. you know um so those two things aren't necessarily the same you know and, you know, look, these are tough situations now, too, because, like, I come from a law enforcement family. I have a lot of empathy for the hard work that law enforcement has to do in this country. Mm-hmm. And law enforcement also has a really kind of troubled past in its relationship with blacks in America. You know, both of those things are, are true. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there are many people who aren't doing the, the best of things. <laughs> when the worst of things happen to them also, mm-hmm. which complicates matters too and how people can empathize. You know, mm-hmm. Like, for instance, in the civil rights movement, you had people on their best behavior treated horribly. You know, With a lot of modern issues, sometimes you have people engaged in not-so-savory things being treated, given a, a judge and jury treatment, you know, like being executed or whatever, which is horrible, but people don't... They don't have empathy for many times those people because they don't think they're doing a good thing or they're or they're innocent. Like when you hear the news saying, well, they were no angel. Like that's their way of making that statement of taking the empathy away. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if you just identify with the fact that 
this act is wrong, it's regardless of what this person did, you know, outside of maybe attacking an officer, that type of thing, or right. someone's defending themselves directly. You know, people getting pulled over for just traffic stops and getting killed and all these types of things, you know. You know, it's a different relationship. So it's it's very complicated these days with with within the age of of uh, information where we're aware of so many things that happen too, and how to you know decipher which one really deserves the type of cause and attention, and which ones are just a bad incident, an unfortunate incident. Right. You know. But when I hear because there are unfortunate incidents that happen that really don't have a real villain. Hmm. The the villainy is not clear or doesn't really exist. And there's some things where there is a villainy that's going on that needs to be addressed. Right. Mm-hmm. But you have villains and uh, making things black and white. When, when you're talking about being from a law enforcement family and obviously mm-hmm. being a, a black American, right. you do have to put your mind in the middle. You're in a yes. unique position to right. learn, I would argue, right. a, a mystical position of going like, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get both. Right. And that there isn't a... When I first heard All Lives Matter, I didn't mm-hmm. know the implication. I didn't know that they were kind of putting mm-hmm. down Black Lives Matter. I was like, yeah, all well, lives that's interesting. All Lives Matter is a direct fuck you, Black Lives Matter. I'm right. shutting down your statement by saying All Lives Matter. I now understand It's that. not its own statement because it's like, get your own fucking statement. Why are you saying All Lives Matter? <laughs> Blue Lives Matter. Yeah, but you're just saying fuck you, Black Lives Matter too. Right, right, right. Why are you using their slogan? Get your own fucking slogan. Right, right, right. You know, the only reason to say that shit is to take the air out of Black Lives Matter. Right. That's the only reason. Right, it's right, not right. a real pro-Blue Lives Matter statement. Right. Otherwise, why are you using those words? Right, right, right. Because that matters. Yes, it's <laughs> to devalue Black it's, Lives Matter. It's a call and response. Yeah, it, those are very cynical statements. All I those saw things. an amazing... I wish I could remember his name. <laughs> Shit! Uh, he opened for me in Minnesota at the Women's Club. Mm-hmm. And he had this great joke. Shit! Sorry, I can't plug you here. But he goes like... It's, it's like saying Rainforest Matter... Mm-hmm. Because people are every every minute we're tearing down more and more rainforests, and then someone behind them going like, "All forests matter." <laughs> right, right. It's like, yeah, but we're tearing down this one. <laughs> yes, which is, I, I agree with you. All trees are good, but these ones are getting yeah. torn up right now. Right. Um, I, I I get it. It's, it's, it's a complicated thing. No, it it really is a. It's I take it as a direct fuck you to that statement. And sure. look, Colin Kaepernick is a great example of this, by the way. Like you know, Colin Kaepernick who's played for the San Francisco Forty ers and. He he was a. Uh, are you a sports fan? No. Okay, so Colin Kaepernick plays for the San Francisco 49ers, and he's like he he had the potential of being a star quarterback at one point. And now he's been relegated to a backup. But last year he decided to kneel during the national anthem, and he was doing it as a protest. Yes, I know of police this. brutality yeah, in America. Yeah. Right? It was kind of a general protest. I don't think there was a means to an end, or there was something that he wanted to do. I think it was just his own personal protest, <clears throat> and um, there was a lot of tension. Given to that, oh God, did I lose my train of thought? Oh, so I felt uh, many, and many people were very angry at him and are still are angry. They thought that him kneeling during the national anthem was a fuck you to our not only law enforcement but military. How it's a fuck you to military, I still don't get that <laughs> the connection. The PR person was like, but, but the, dragging the military yes, too. But that's what a lot of people were angry and took that message. And to me, I saw it differently. I felt they didn't agree with his premise, mm. you know, because I felt if he knelt during the national anthem and said, look, breast cancer 
is a shame on all of us. The fact that we don't have a cure for breast cancer, we should all be ashamed of right now. Let's do something better and get a cure. Too many women are dying from breast cancer. Right. I'm going to kneel during the national anthem just to so- show my support. What motherfucker is going to say, fuck you, Colin Kaepernick? Right. How dare you kneel during the national right. anthem? You do That's an affront to police and blah, blah, blah. Right. No. Right. So they disagree with his premise, not the fact that he's kneeling during the national anthem. I love it. I love yeah. when Colbert talked to you about your the map behind you being upside down. Yeah. And I loved your answer. I have a bit about that, how yeah. there is no up and there's no down. Yeah. It's 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 not the same at all. It's just right. the same idea. Yeah. And that's you going, No, you're looking at it as if the right. world has an, a right side up. I and disagree a right with your down. premise. I disagree yes. with your premise. <laughs> yes. And right. I remember when these guys got That's one of my favorite phrases, man. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, because people will give you a premise. And now you have to argue based on their I premise. I disagree with it's your like, premise. It's like, hold on a second, motherfucker. I disagree with your fucking premise. Yeah. We're going to argue right here. We're yes. not going to argue up here. That's right. We're I'm not meeting here. you in the schoolyard. Exactly. I will meet you. I paid a month's rent on that battlefield. We have to, we have, to have a war. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. That's <laughs> as helpful as Oprah teaching us that doesn't work for me. <laughs> there you go. The non-combative phrase that yep. helps us uh, peacemakers. Um, I, I love that idea. Changing oh, what was it? Now I lost my train of thought. The idea of changing the oh, fuck my face. Changing the way you you look at something, or yeah, it was about that. Mm-hmm. You were talking about the map and upside down, and, and before that we were disagreeing saying, with the premise and Colin Kaepernick. Right. Uh-huh. I disagree. Earlier I, we were talking about just jerking off. Uh, <laughs> I, ju- I, ju- I just want you to know I agree. If I had something else to say. And fucking celery and that it w- kind of stuff. Yeah. It was to agree. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the, oh, it's, I knew these guys that got fired in, um, when I was working at the Boston Comedy Club. They got fired for being on the hip hop station. And it was, do, do you know Todd Lynn? Mm-hmm. Todd Lynn was a comic in New York. Oh, okay. He got fired for writing the song about the tsunami on Christmas in Thailand. Mm-hmm. And it was bad. It had like the C word in it. It, it was just the worst mm-hmm. thing you've ever heard. In poor taste. In poor taste. Mm-hmm. And that was the gag. They were really quadrupling They were doing down a poor taste song on purpose. On purpose, they were being as salacious as they could be. Got it. To, to shock and, and, and entertain. And the station said, sorry, we don't like that. You're fired. You're fired. Okay. And then they were like, uh, I wasn't even me. It wasn't even me. They were going on stage and being like, I didn't even want to do it. Like, why did they fire me? I didn't want to do it. What it's does that, that mean, I didn't want to do it? Like, it wasn't my idea. Oh. Like they, like someone told them to write. Like one of the other hosts was like, "Let's do it," and I just kind of went along with yeah. it. And I remember, I think it was—I don't know if it was Greer, but it was somebody like Greer. And he said to me, "He was like, you know, if that song was a hit, they would be like, that was mine. Right, that exactly. was my song. Yeah. That's my example of I don't agree with your premise. Like right. I don't buy you dismissing this or owning it because yes. it's all bullshit. Failure has many orphans, success many fathers. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about showbiz. Sure. Yeah. Because Jesus, man. What do you want to know? You've done so much fucking showbiz. Yeah, bitches. Get in line. <laughs> Put some respect on that. <laughs> I can't believe the list of people. We usually do showbiz at the beginning, but now we'll yeah. end and not feel existential. We'll have better days nice. because we did God in the Middle. Yeah, I like that. Blackish. Mm-hmm. Incredible show with my, mm-hmm. with my friend uh, Kenya. Yeah, Kenya's awesome. He's amazing. Fresh Prince. Jesus. Bernie Mac. I worked Mac. on Fresh Prince. Yeah, mm-hmm. you were a writer on that. Mm-hmm. You're doing Insecure. I started on Living Color. I can't believe that either. Mm-hmm. Issa Rae, uh, Insecure. Insecure. Co-created um, Insecure. Can't believe it. Love it. Eddie Murphy with the PJs. Whoopi PJs. Goldberg. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I just... The Office. 
I know. The yeah, Office is one of the best episodes of The, of the Office. Office. Well, I was, a, all, I was I know, a writer producer. I know that. Excuse mm-hmm. me. And that's incredible. And that is more important. But and The Daily Show. Right? In, I know. Jesus, yeah. man. Well, man, and, it keeps going. If you, brought it up. If you, I could keep laying it down. Uh, <laughs> if you look at your awards section mm-hmm. on Wikipedia, you're looking at three, four screen lengths sure. to scroll down. It's incredible. Thanks, so dude. let it's yeah. I don't wear it on my sleeve. <laughs> Actually, to, for the listeners, he is wearing a sleeve yeah, that says the names of all the people he's worked with. It says it's put incre- some respect on it. How the give us some motherfucking showbiz advice? Sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> I mean, you've killed it. What did mm-hmm. you figure out? You 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 already gave yeah. us something that honestly, for mm-hmm. me, as we're writing season two, that's just such a good reminder. Yes. And this is a free fucking podcast. And thank you mm-hmm. just for that. Like, you should know what you're know what it's about. That's beautiful. And even when you're writing scenes, know what the scene is about. You know? Yeah. There you go. I remember I was uh, we were writing a scene at the Bernie Mac show, and it was the scene where. Um, the son, he had his, he had a friend over and he wet the bed and I forget what the actual overall story was and the writer was having just some trouble writing the scene, you know, and uh, it just wasn't right. And um, I, and then I asked him, well, what is the scene about? And he goes, well, um, Jordan's friend comes over and, he, and I go, wait, stop. That's what happens in it. Okay. <laughs> but what is it about? And he goes, oh, um, well, they're hanging out in the room and I go, okay. Stop. <laughs> That's what happens in it. But what is it about? What is the scene about? You know, and he goes, oh. Um, I go, well, let's just make it about something. Let's just it might not be about something. That might be the problem. Maybe not. I said, what if it's about shame? Let's yeah. make it about that. Okay, go write the scene. Yeah. It was brilliant when he came yeah. back. Every, now the scene had life in it. You know what I call life? Yeah. Fun. Yeah. I often go, where's the fun? Yeah. Fun is the play of the writer, like yeah. batting something around, like when it's about something. Right. And to me, I call it observe, observing something, you know, where it's something human that is being revealed mm. is where the joy of something comes out. That's where our recognition comes when yeah. humanity is being revealed. Starts something. tickling that part you, you recognize. Yeah, yourself. that you recognize it's humanity. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a secret, too. Yeah. The more, like, fun, like... Aren't we like that, but we don't want to admit it? Just like a good stand-up yeah. joke. Yeah, It's like, exactly. ah, okay. Right. But, I mean, I guess we could – there's a million different ways to go at it now. We could talk to mm-hmm. Larry, the, the producer creator, sure. now. Whatever one you want. We could also talk to Larry, who was getting into it. Okay. What was one of the – you wrote the Bernie Mac pilot. You created the Bernie I Mac created show. created the show. Mm-hmm. What would you – I mean, you must get a lot of people being like, well, here, I want to do that. Well, I'll go back to where I started. <laughs> I started in theater. I was a theater major in school, and I was very kind of serious about that. I wanted to be a serious actor yeah, at yeah. that time. Said he shakes for all that stuff. Actually, one, one, one second. Nerd! <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I freely admit that. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Are you kidding? Stuff. There's no judgment. I was there. actually, I was nominated for the Irene Ryan Acting Award for playing Tiresias in Oedipus in college. I mean, oh that's God. how, yeah. And in fact, I was very proud that my first... Um, union card was in equity, actors' equity. Wow. Yeah, Ooh. so I was very much a theater. Yes. <laughs> Equus. <laughs> I was very much a theater nerd, and, you know, that's where I, I kind of started. But at the same time, I was also going to open mic nights doing stand up comedy, which is a completely different muscle. Yeah. You know, so I was. But now you're working too. Well, now both of those worlds still exist for me in separate compartments. Mm. You know, the what I call the, the talk that eventually led to the talk show world and. That type of thing, Larry is a personality, and then the dramatic world of of writing and 
TV shows and producing and those kind of things. So they're they're different worlds, but I've overlapped them. But I've noticed career. that a lot of successful mm-hmm. people that I talk to do overlap. That they do. Yeah, sure. They're not precious with where they express right. themselves. They'll yeah. do it wherever That's they can get right. off. That's absolutely right. So I did stand up comedy as a means to have complete control over content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I was frustrated as an actor going on auditions, and you know, you're not quite right for this and that, and you know, you don't know what your range is when you're starting out, but you know, if you're not getting a lot of parts, you know, it's probably a limited range at that point, you know, <laughs> yeah. right? But as a stand-up comic, it's great. You're just writing jokes. You're going up and doing it. Mm-hmm. They either work or they don't. You it's know, all on you. You're developing a stage. It's all on you. You're the casting director trying yeah, to cast jokes no in your act. <laughs> and you're forming a persona that you don't even know as you're doing it, it over the years. You, you discover who, who you are like and all that stuff. Pep. But one thing it taught me was just to bet on myself more than anything else, you know, and to make that bet, you know. So you're taking something that is, you know, writers can become very writerly and then we Mm -hmm. can become like stereotypes where so funny on the page, but like kind of stiff or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you're doing, you're working both. Yeah. And also I kind of had a, going back to your other point, um, like people said, Larry, how did you get into comedy? And I said, I'll be honest with you, I chose showbiz so I could get comedy out of me. You know, like if I worked in a bank, I would still need to get comedy out of me. It probably wouldn't be appreciated. You know, so I really didn't get into comedy. I've been trying to make people laugh my whole life. I've been you know? trying to get comedy out of me. <laughs> yeah, I get it's an extraction. Showbiz allows me to get the comedy out of me. I didn't get into Buddy, comedy. So beautiful. That's yeah. exactly how it feels. Yeah, disagreeing with the premise, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So, so stand-up was one way to do that, okay? Uh-huh. But I realized there were other ways That's to do right. that. That's so, right. like, when people say, Larry, how come you're not doing stand-up anymore? What's wrong? Did you fail? I said, no, guys. Yeah. That's just one form of expression. And right. remember, I was a theater major. I knew that writing, I studied playwriting and that type of thing, you know, was another way to do it. I could write a sketch, and that's an expression of comedy. I could write a sitcom, that's an expression of comedy. A movie, a scene, or whatever. So I knew there were other ways to express the funny that I wanted and to And the funny wants to be one of those things. Yes, and there are many ideas, and you know, doing stand-up that don't quite fit in your act, but you go, this is actually a movie premise. That's right. You know, why did I just say a movie premise yeah, but to this audience? Yeah, but it's true. Yeah. Like, because you go, why are they laughing at this? Because it's not really a stand-up joke. Right. Stand-up joke is concentrated comedy. Yeah. It really is. I mean, Chris Rock just eating tang. Said it was this. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, if if you say something, like if you do stand up and it's not funny, it's just a sentence. I think Chris Rock said something wow. like that. Yeah. You know, and uh, so it has that concentrated where I, I feel it's the it's the uh, it's the most you can say in the least amount of words. Usually, is what a really good joke is. Yeah, you know? that's right. Well, that is funny. That is also funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then you would have yeah. ideas and you... that aren't that that don't qualify. But as that, that doesn't mean they're bad. They no, just it just means else. it requires a different expression. Right. So I thought, well, I'm kind of limited by stand up. I want to have this expression, and that's why I started writing for television. That's right. Because I wanted to have that other type of expression. Right. And right. there were other. There was so much of that in you that you needed to get it out. Yes. And I also, I knew that Hollywood didn't recognize me in my category. Like at that point, if you were a black comic, you were expected to be from the ghetto, you know, and you were urban, as they say, and fast talking and all this stuff. But I was, you know, I was kind of a political comic sometimes, or I would do absurdist things, you know observational my act was kind of a hodgepodge of different things it was just me being funny really right right you know i certainly had a a racial satire in there a lot you know when i was first starting out and uh so it was a lot i didn't quite fit into a category right but isn't it funny 
you know, Jordan. so I had to create the category for myself. Jordan Carlos, who was on yeah, your show, absolutely. I was with Jordan when he got Montreal, and it was the time when he went on stage and said, "My name is Jordan, and I'm a preppy black guy." Yeah, that's what he said. Right. And and the dum dums, and I say that lovingly. These are the same dum dums yeah. that booked me. We're all trying to get our fingers on the pulse of who somebody right. is, and Jordan just said it. Got yeah, it, got it that year, as if Jordan had to say it. That's. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it? What I'm saying is, it's so funny that we right. can't. We don't have the luxury of being ethereal and vague. We have to yeah. be like, and I got it. No, you have to set their expectations immediately. I got it the year that I said, right. I know I look like a youth pastor. You right. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. It, it, right. it was one yes. sentence, like your show yes. thing, that said, yes. I know who I am. But you didn't have the luxury of saying, I'm a preppy black guy. No. You were being and I really wasn't a comedian. That. You were being something different. But they probably yeah. wanted you to be a jive turkey. At that point, right. yes. Right. right. But not uh, you just pushed through? Yeah, I mean, well, the, there's a difference between uh, the the Hollywood business thinking you're the cipher for the audience right now and they want to throw you movies as opposed to doing well in clubs. Right. I always did great in clubs because all you're doing is making people laugh. Right. You know, but I wasn't picked out as somebody that Hollywood thinks is important or, Have you or is the person we want to bet on. Yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't that person. You right. Know? Um, so, yeah. Are you... Mm. Like me, another person that was like, okay, I have these ideas. My ambition is greater than uh, mm-hmm. just working clubs. Right. And then you made your own opportunities. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I did. I, I would have bet yeah. money that that's what happened. Yep. And so I was very thoughtful about that. You know, I knew I had to not perform as much and I had to put more of my energies into writing and producing and learning how to do it right. and really studying it. And what did that hard. look like? Reading books, literally? Just- Some of it. I still have tons of writing books that I loan out to writers and stuff, you know, that I think are good books and that type of stuff. What's so, one of them? Was it, uh, oh, God, it's hard you, to remember titles. They all sound the same, you know? Yeah. You, name, you remember the name of Magic Tricks. <laughs> I know, it's true. Because you have to be anal about that, yeah. you know? But, you know, um, as much of a character as he is, the Robert McKee workshops are great. Yeah. You know, He's such a character, though. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. But uh, and I think he he used to just have one just called story. But yeah, he has he one ha- called story. He has a lot of different ones. Don't now. get it on tape. You oh no, the experience is fantastic. You uh, want to be there in person. Oh, but right? I got the book story on tape, and he's like, "Take this scene from To Kill a Mockingbird." Uh. <laughs> Boo Radley enters. You just have to hear a guy reading a script. You should it's see like it. The kid stays in the picture. But you, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's, he did it his way. Right. You know what I remember from McKee was he was like, nobody has ever thrown away a script because it wasn't formatted correctly. Right. Like, if it's a great script, it could be in Microsoft Word, and you're just doing it your own way. Right. And then there could be a perfectly with the right margins and the title page and the script, and you use all the terms. I hate... Some people are obsessed with with format and that Exactly. And they're like, based on this other script, like, shut the fuck up. Will you tell me a story? I'm I'm lost in outer space over here. Can you comfort me? Yes. Now, there... And there's also (laughs) the technical aspects of types of storytelling. So, like, when I did the Bernie Mac show, I had to come up with a new way how to write that based on what I wanted to do that that wasn't on television at the time. Mm. And it was very difficult um, because I was basing it off off of what was happening in the reality world. Um, I watched this show called 1900 House. It was on PBS where they jury-rigged the house with cameras and they made it seem like it was 1900. For the kids, yeah. Yeah, you had to live like in that time. And I thought it was fascinating, but it had this observational quality where the – 
the action was being observed rather than presented to us. You mm. know? And I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know? And I was looking at what else was happening in reality, and I wanted to create a show that had that feel. Because the shows at that time were multi-camera. You know? right. It was more like films theater. Yeah, really. Bernie Mac show was a pioneer. It, was, it yeah, broke we, them all. We were the first, one of the first shows to shoot in high definition. This is the year 2000 when I did the pilot. Wow. 2001. Um, we, uh, yeah, the single camera aspect, I think only Malcolm in the middle at that time, I think, was single camera. Right. No, it was weird that it was single camera. I yeah. remember thinking it was there weird. There so many things. But I remember also, thinking, why isn't this a multi yes. I didn't even know those no, terms. it was a good question. I was like, what, what is going on here? It's like the Plus, Cosby show, but comic. we're closer. Yeah. Of course, I just thought it was like the Cosby show because it was a black family. But then there was also a dramatic structure I had to do differently because of visually what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And so... I studied everything from French New Wave films, all kinds of stuff, to try to get the language that I wanted proper for. Wow. And, uh, but I realized, uh, we don't, probably don't have time for me to go through all this, but, whatever time you want. but what I realized was um, I had to drop some of my conventional thoughts about how, like, act breaks should occur, mm. you know. And act break um, being where we go to commercial. I'm just yes. filling in the audience. <laughs> right. So, so in a normal act break, like, well, let me put it a different way. Most conventional sitcoms especially your multi-camera sitcoms were built on farce you know and they used a lot of the rules of farce oh i can't believe they're doing that let's hide it from them nobody knows this you know okay hijinks occur the act break is we don't know what's going to happen with that right you know but rachel's coming over yes well that's a good plan act break colgate right okay (laughs) so there's 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 something suspenseful that happens at the act break that makes you want to come back. Yeah, you're right. By saying Colgate, because you're going to watch a commercial. That's right. So what's bringing you back? Yeah. So I was watching real world at the time and trying to figure out why do I want to come back at the commercial? Because there was no suspense at the act break. (laughs) And I kept playing that act break and go, I still want to watch this. Why? Mm. And I played over and over trying to figure this out. And I go, and then I just, it just hit me. You know what? I just, I'm just interested in this character, mm. and I just want to see more. And I go, oh, that's interesting. And that was the first light bulb that went off. And I realized if I just create a, an emotional through line for this character that happens in this, I don't need this manipulated plot to tell that. That's right. You know, And I can just have uh, events happen in this person's life that is showing that growth rather than a plot manipulation where I'm telling the audience what's happening. Where Bernie has to put on the magician's suit and do the show, otherwise his cousin is going to know that he doesn't That's right. So in the pilot, that manipulation isn't happening. At the end of the act break, it's just over. And then we're starting another one. And you didn't and get... And then that's over. No one noted that? N- n- yes! It was the, <laughs> it's, I got fired in the second season after winning every award you could possibly win. What? Because they did not understand what I was doing, and they were treating me like I was incompetent. Wow. Yes. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I had already won an Emmy. I won a Peabody Critics Critics Award. Like the writers understood what I was doing. Right. You know, but the network did not. So they would always. But it was a hit. Listen. listen I'm telling you. <laughs> Do we want to get back into our racism talk right now? <laughs> Do you think that was a factor? <laughs> well, like I said, we don't have enough time to cover all this. <laughs> did they replace you with a, a, white, a white person? Yes. That. By the way, that uh, didn't even have kids, you know, couldn't relate to that. Of course, wasn't black. Had never run a single camera show. None of these things. Completely inexperienced. And the show was horrible when they ran it. And they, <sighs> that person was fired. But when they were fired, they were given a big overall deal from the studio. Whereas with me, they said, oh, we would never give Larry overall deal. I mean, they treated me horribly. Oh, my shit. Yes. This is what Hollywood does sometimes. Oh, you know? my God. So, um, but I, 
I deconstructed the thing that they were trying to give me notes on to write something different and fresh. Yeah. You know, and that's why it felt that way. I, you could watch that pilot today and it still feels fresh. Because yeah. Of, but after I did that, other shows have done it subsequently, yeah. including yeah. The Office, yeah. including that we're now, it's an observed storytelling. We're right. observing behavior more. Right. You know, that type of thing. 1600 House. Yeah, rather than the action being forced upon us, you right. know, and, and this farce happening, you know. Right. So, it's not Three's Company anymore. Right, exactly. You know, those types of rules, you know. So, but that's me knowing there are, you don't have to write farce to write a sitcom. There, Mary Tyler Moore was not a farce. Right. It was a character comedy, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, it was. But you're studying a lot. I, I did a talk recently with my, mm-hmm. I don't have the same experience as you, but, you know, I've been on some shows. Right. And I told all the kids at USC, I was like, copy structure. There's nothing wrong with mm-hmm. copying structure. Right. I. When I did my first spec for Modern Family, mm-hmm. I copied the structure of another episode of Modern Family. Right. Not the events, but I was like, right. oh, there's but you're writing a, spec. a three-page scene, a three-page scene, sure. and an act break. Right. Three-page scene, three-page scene, act break, two-page scene, two-page scene, and it's over. Right. And then I felt like I was doing something wrong because mm-hmm. I come from the stand-up world and you're supposed to do everything just by staring at your navel right. and wondering what might be funny. <laughs> right. And then I was like, no, show that you can write someone else's show. Just one for one it. Just be like mm-hmm. – these two are having a problem. Well, in my script, these two are having a problem. Sure. And and then it go, I, I feel like that was a great hack to kind of share with people. Mm-hmm. It seems like you're watching reality shows, you're watching film, avant-garde stuff, whatever it took to get you to think of something. I wanted to original. think of a different way of telling this. I needed a different way to tell this story. Yeah. You know, and um, not easy to do. No, it's very difficult. <laughs> very, very difficult. That's why yeah. I was very proud of it too. Once and. I was panicking every day, not thinking I would actually crack it. Too. What do you say to the to the other? Um, it doesn't have to be black people, but people mm-hmm. that are uh, uh, opposed or oppressed in whatever system they're in. Let's talk about show business, though. Mm-hmm. You got kicked in the balls pretty sure. early. Mm-hmm. Um, what do What do you say? It's very well, here's easy the thing. at that point in your life. Here's to go, the thing: Pete. it's rigged. I'm fucked. No, I know, but right? it's not my personality to operate out of that type of system. And I was very fortunate. I had so many amazing people who you disagreed with the premise. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and I didn't believe what they were saying. Of course, you didn't too. believe the premise. They not. said, "I know I was." Larry doesn't get over all deals. Larry's a this right. guy, and he's not that kind of guy. Right. It's like hiring a like you said about uh, Obama came in a world when when you were a kid they couldn't be right. a black quarterback. That's right. Why is that? Because quarterbacks look a certain way, showrunners look a right. certain way, stars look a certain way. Right. But it's very easy to get down on yourself and go, "They're right," but you're disagreeing with the premise, and you kept going. Yes, but it was helpful at the time. To hear from people who had gone through similar things, mm. you know, um, everybody from James L. Brooks, mm-hmm. you know, who was very nice. What I remember did he say? just say, "Hey, man, I heard about the thing. Don't worry about it. You know, hang in there." I remember I saw Stephen Bochco at a restaurant once. Who I'd never met him before. I was a huge fan and came up and said, hey, "Larry, you know, I'm so sorry what happened. You know, giving me encouragement. Mm. These are, you know." I, you know, writing idols of you were television. in good company. Yes, though. Carl Reiner was another one I wow. remember at the time. You know, many people at the time who gave these expressions of support and saying how great they thought it was in the work and don't be down. And I remember uh, the Mary Tyler Moore uh, DVDs came out shortly thereafter, and I was listening to what James L. Brooks went through when he was doing the Mary Tyler Moore show. It was almost the same types of things no that were being said way. because it was different. It was not the same rhythms. It was a different rhythm yes. he was writing. Yes. And if you look at the – in fact, one of their run-throughs 
um, he, he tells a story where it went horribly, in fact, in terms of not getting laughs. But it was real hot in there, I think, you know, and they had some weird audience. And the network <laughs> thought it was a disaster, and they wanted to fire him. And uh, it was only Mary Tyler Moore and Grant Tinker who said, no, this is our writer, this is who we're keeping, where he was able to stay on. We wow. might not have ever heard of him again. Wow. Had he been fired. Who knows? But then the next rehearsal was the complete opposite. Basically the same script, you mm. know. And, uh, and a little AC. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. It's true. It's comedy, man. And we didn't yeah. hand out pizza I before. Know, right. But yeah. we know we've been in clubs. <laughs> Ceilings too low or too high. You know, Get this but, curtain out of here. Like that yeah. old joke. Oh, I thought you're funny. Which show did you come yeah, to? Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. So it was that type of thing. But, you know, it, his writing was just different at the time. He was revealing Mary as a character, mm. you know, mm-hmm. in different ways, you mm-hmm. know, and who she was. And Not hijinks. The people around you. Mm-hmm. Not that the type people were used to. It wasn't Gomer Pyle. Right. You know? So that's he, what was, remember, that's what was on TV right, before then. Right, right, the Green Acres, that type of stuff. Right. This was a sophisticated character comedy. There was a real woman who was in the world at that time that we had to deal with now. <laughs> she was not dependent on a man. Mm-hmm. It wasn't these rules, you know. She had a a girlfriend who was single, you know, and had the, you know, Rhoda and all the Phyllis and these characters. They were revolutionary <laughs> at the time. You forget that. Yes, right. you do, yeah. you know. But you, once again, look back at the Mary Tyler Moore st- show, still funny. Yeah. And you know? Bernie Mac show. So when you were down, though, you got good advice from James. Good advice. It was real. Not saying it wasn't easy, you know, because those kind of blows are real tough. But there were a lot of people who wanted to work with me at the time. So that was great. Because your work spoke for itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I'm just stuck with that could have been a rollover, play dead and mm-hmm. go and play basketball. Yeah. I only say that because you said basketball earlier. Yeah, right. I don't say that to all the I think guests. it's just the notion. <laughs> Pete, look. I think we're lucky because we started with stand-up. Yeah. Like, if everything goes away, what can we do? Well, that's We the, can still go on a stage, That's the power right? of John Stewart. We can still go on a yeah, stage exactly and get a laugh, right? right? Because he's so. not, he doesn't have to suck on the Daily Show teat. Right. He goes away, he goes and does the Yes. Act. So if all else fails, we know we can do that. And we, I remember when I was, I was working on some show, I can't remember, and I, and I just felt like I wasn't funny, you know. Mm. I was doing horribly in the room, and I was like, fuck. And I, I hadn't done stand-up in a while. I had to go back and do stand-up just to remind me that That's I was right. funny. That's right. And I was like, oh, thank you, audience. I am funny. That's- and then I went back in the room, and I was completely different. I totally had I'll make it about again. fucking. My therapist yeah. once was like, I tell my patients to take one Viagra. Yeah. Just get one good, <laughs> get one good fuck back. Right. Remember who you are, and that's what going on that's stage hilarious, is. Hilarious. Then yeah. you don't have to keep taking it, but just remember. All right. Yeah. Oh, right, I'm I'm this big dick motherfucker. Right. And which is great. Yeah. Or like me, just take one on the way to Winchell's Donuts or something, just to <laughs> just, just to spice to, it just up, to, just to have your dick hard while you're buying donuts. Fuck yeah. the hole if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like celery. That's how it got there. Celery's yeah, yeah. slutty cousin. <laughs> did, did John Stewart tell you anything about you? I mean, you've worked with everybody. Very did fortunate. You? I've worked with many, many people. I mean, he he's a great advice guy. He he was on the pilot of my talk mm-hmm. show. He actually gave me some good advice on that. Yeah. Do you remember? Here's what I'm going to ask you. Sure. What are some of the greatest lessons you've learned about writing showbiz comedy? Is there anything mm-hmm. that you keep going back to? Um. That's a good question. I don't know about writing if I've gotten direct advice that I go back to. I think I more had examples that I wanted to emulate, I guess. Heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had different, you know, unlikely ones that you would think, like Mike Nichols, you know. Who's Mike Nichols? 
uh, you know, Mike Nichols, a famous director, and you know, he he directed The uh, Graduate. Oh, sure. Yeah, and theater director, and but he started an improv. He and Elaine May. Uh huh. And uh, his career is just brilliant when I look at it, and the way that he thought, and just how imaginative he was. The Graduate is still one of my favorite films, mm-hmm. you know, and. Like that type of work still serves as inspiration for me, hmm. you know, because he had to break rules to do it and against expectations, against what people thought he should be doing. Dustin Hoffman, a leading man, go fuck yourself. We right. want uh, the young Robert Redford for this role, you know. Did they? <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, that was wow. one of the thoughts and things like that. And he's like, no, you know, this is this is who this person is. And he was right, you know. Yeah. But to have that kind of vision and account in it and to... See, you're have, a, have a creative vision. Is you're a vision guy. Yeah, that's what I'm picking. It serves up. as inspiration, you and know? you study and you absorb other people's yes, visions. Like you seem definitely. like a student of history. Absolutely, TV history, showbiz history, completely. And that is, I used to study biographies all the time of people who made it real big. I love just, biographies. Just yeah. wanting to know, well, what did they do? That was. I special. remember being 13 and walking yeah. in a store and being like, "Does David Letterman have an autobiography?" <laughs> <laughs> I was so sad that he did. Yes, I would get obsessed. You know, you talked about uh, what is the thing? Is it compulsiveness or those type of things? Yeah. For me, it was obsessions. Yeah. I guess would, would describe how my brain works. So, like, and at different times, like, my first obsession was with Houdini because I did magic, you know, and I read everything I could about Houdini when I was like, mm-hmm. then it was the Marx Brothers, you know, and I, everything I could get about the Marx Brothers, I just inhaled, you know. <laughs> Keaton, you know, the Beatles was one of my obsessions, you mm-hmm. know, I'm still a big Beatles fan and all that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and I just, I just love just inhaling all those, you know that type of, and would you agree that it can't help but come out? It's yeah. like it's like garbage in, garbage out. But like yeah. you on our show, sorry. borrow borrow from the good, steal from the best. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> That's an expression. That's that a good one. Always, yeah. But they, yeah, I also feel like when you're consuming great stuff, mm-hmm. it's just going. Like sometimes I'll read a script. Of like Mark's brother's timing is still in my head. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's That's, still in my head. And and yeah. there was a line. I watched the movie Mistaken for Strangers, mm-hmm. and Matt Berninger is, is a friend of mine. I'm so I think that's so cool because it's my favorite band. And there's a line in Mistaken for Strangers where they talk. He says to his brother, "He's like, I, I you left a bowl of cereal mm-hmm. on the floor in the bathroom or something." Mm-hmm. And then later, when I wrote the script for the pilot, there was a line about cereal on the floor in the bathroom. Obviously, I didn't know that that was like influencing it. Right. But I was like, I watch great comedies. Yeah. And that is a little bit one for one. I actually texted mm-hmm. them. I was like, Hey, man, I think I used your joke. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought it was a theft. It's just like I'm watching great stuff that mm-hmm. makes me laugh, and it kind of bleeds. Here's yeah. a better example. I know, I know. Exactly Simpsons what you're style sure. is in the way everyone my age jokes. Yes. yes, and and when you watch The Simpsons, you go, I thought that was my voice. <laughs> right, right, right. No, it was James L. Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> you or fucking those, dope. Or those writers and everything. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I'm interested. Like I'm very much interested in comedy, but I'm also interested in drama as well. You know, and and so many of those worlds have inspired me and continue to inspire me and I go back and I find things that I maybe overlooked or didn't quite appreciate and I go wow this is fantastic right. and I discover a new thing about just creativity or writing or or expression or that type of thing um, which is very very cool like speaking of Mike Nichols so I never really got Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when I was younger because it's about a divorce a, not a divorce couple but a, a couple that is you know, fighting, and yeah. I, I was a kid. I don't know. What, what do you know? Yeah, I don't know what that relationship is. But now I can look at that and I go, "Wow, that is masterful." Not only Albie's script, 
but Nichols' direction, who was so young at the time, I'm like, how is he directing Burton and Taylor, <laughs> you know, in his first feature? And it's brilliant. And yeah. it's all about relationship. That's it. There's no plot in that movie at all. <laughs> it's all about relationships. But that's what I mean. It's like, so my brain thinks, how is that happening? How did that happen? So what's the work that goes into that? So you have to understand the you material know, and, the, and, the, and what's going on there. You have to be able to relate that. Right. To the actors right. who probably already know because they were living that shit anyway at the time. Yeah. You know, you, know, you remind me of uh, Bill Nye. So Bill mm-hmm. Nye did my podcast yeah. years ago. And I I made some joke about like, uh, do people come up and ask you questions like, mm-hmm. what fre- hey, science guy. Yeah, what freezes faster, <laughs> hot water or cold water? Right. And, uh, and he, he was like, well, you have a freezer and you have faucets. So his thing was like, go find out. Like, do nice. it. Like te- so, you're the Bill Nye of comedy. Is you mm-hmm. go? Why does that work? A lot of us go, man. Why does that work? And mm-hmm. then we go and put our dick in a cake. Yeah. <laughs> you watch it. Well, and I go, may be trying that. Uh, <laughs> you watch it and go. Cake. How how do I do this? And how do I take it and run with it the next step? Now, like, how do I make it something new? Now, click how it do- one one right. more. Right, to exactly. the 2017 version. Right, exactly. And that's what you're doing you're with Insecure, with Black, and all these things. I mean, it's incredible. I, think so. I try. It doesn't always work, but I try. You yeah. know, but but I am always. I keep getting inspired by work that's been done years ago too, as well as current work. I feel like, like I, I get inspired be, by both, both I, modern and antiquity. and the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has to be a secret. I bet Picasso was like nobody knows about this guy Earl. Working out of Spain. Well, if you in- look at Picasso, a lot of his work was inspired by African art in the 19th century. You know, now that you say yeah. that, I see it. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, especially when you well, look at that, you the, go, oh, very interesting. He's yeah. the great artist steel guy. Yeah. He's the, yeah, you know, I get it, mm-hmm. what you were saying. Yeah, so all that stuff. You, <laughs> I just go, you, I get it. <laughs> yes, you're always standing on those artistic shoulders and doing all that stuff, sure. you know. Larry, I could talk to you forever. I, yeah. I, I, I picked Thanks, the wrong Pete, podcast fun, to make plans after. <laughs> I picked the wrong one. And, well, I'm already going to be late, which is fine because no, this was great. worth it. Thanks, um, man. I, I always want to be like, millions of people hear this. Uh, our this lunch is, the is most just fun. for us. The things that we talked about, I can't even believe. It's right? Great. Yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah, it's fun. It's, well, you were a dream guest, and I'm so glad Thanks. you took the time. Let me make sure anything, I have anything. I think we got it all. Yeah. Would you tell me the hardest time you've ever laughed in your life? God. <laughs> um, that's a tough one, because my family's really funny. Yeah? So some of the hardest times have just been laughing with and at my family. You know, oh, like my man. brother Mark has made me laugh really hard. But from a prof- laughing at something that somebody's done, like professionally, it's I, the one thing I have to think about is Richard Pryor live in concert. Yeah. When I, oh God, and I laughed for so long afterwards, you know, and I kept thinking about it and laughing and crying and I couldn't yeah. believe it. It's like you know? a Buddhist cone or something. Yeah. Like I just have to keep <laughs> thinking about that yeah. joke. Yeah. It kept regurgitating in me, you know, yeah, yeah. and laughing. And What are the family ones though? Is there some oh, they're just fart funny. story or falling no, down they're the just funny. No, they're unintentionally funny. They're not intentionally oh, funny. Oh, even better. Yeah, they're unintentionally funny. Yeah. I'm just happy to know that you have yeah. that kind of family. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure most people do. Yeah. yeah. Well, Brian Green, the, the physicist, was here, and he told a story about making a pizza mm-hmm. in his Brooklyn apartment with his brothers, and they just started throwing the cheese at each other. Uh-huh. So was, that was the story. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. I never forget that answer. Right. It sounds like a, a story a physicist would tell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so as you said that, I was thinking, I hope he's going to say throwing pizza, because that's, that's where my mind is going. Well, that's right. the multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> that's how that exactly. works. Exactly. 
Well, thank you, Larry. Would you? We have the guests say the catchphrase of the of the podcast, uh, which is "Keep it crispy." Keep it crispy. Finally, a black man stole something from a white guy. Yeah, I just Columbus that. Actually. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. <laughs> See, there you you made it the joke. Right, Thanks, man. That was right, awesome. Man. My pleasure. Thanks, Pete. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 